Welcome to the Overlook Hour. I'm your host, Clark Little. Along with me, as always, is the man who just discovered with the advent of technology, he may have the ability to prove bread in his very cold home. It's Randy Bibelstead. That is me. Uh, I did get some very sage advice, but uh, it sounds like a very tedious process, so I probably, I probably <laughs> won't actually do it. It's not going to happen. No. Because what? What did your mom say? Uh, joining us as always is Russell John Fisher. Russell, your your mother gave Randy well, this yeah. advice in the show. Uh, I just wanted to tease that now. But what, what, what we got to we got to boil the water. We got to put it under the thing. It was something about proofing bread. Randy like was lamenting his uh, failed efforts earlier <laughs> in the week. It was like two weeks ago. Yeah, she texted me instructions that I failed to read properly on here. Also joining us is Oksana Valerian of Osachi. Hello. Oksana, have you ever thought about breaking bed? Oh, boy. <laughs> breaking bed? Breaking bed? <laughs> with with Brian Cranston? Have you ever thought about breaking bed? I like that show. I've made <laughs> one loaf of bread. I took a day-long, no, a week-long baking class in high school. It's so you break the Oh my god. <laughs> you baked bread fifteen years ago? Yeah. Also, uh I got I got a five pound sack of AP flour. Oh my god. <laughs> I got breaking news. Uh you oh, unfollowed uh, Oh okay. Hold on go. God my god <laughs> You unfollowed Breaking Bad on Twitter. I unfollowed so many people <laughs> on Twitter. Randy, I've decided. So what I did, Randy, is that I deleted Facebook off of my phone. Congratulations. Good job. <laughs> and Facebook. I've decided that I'm going to put more uh, of that time instead of not doing social media. <laughs> I'll just do Twitter more. So I cleaned up my Twitter. I've had my Twitter for over a decade now. Man, I was following some crazy stuff. <laughs> Nothing good. Uh, Bill Cosby. Oh, <laughs> OJ Simpson. He had to go. Oh, no, I OJ say you added OJ. No, no, no. Right? I had okay. I had been following OJ. When's the last time uh, Cosby tweeted? I had no idea. I didn't even <laughs> check. But yeah, uh, yeah. Clean that up, and uh, yeah, some people had to go. But uh, joining us on the what a terrible segue. But. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, joining us on the show this week is uh, Jillian Wallace Horvat, uh, who made a fantastic motion picture called I Blame Society. That is available right now. Oksana, we can watch that on iTunes. We could watch that on Amazon. We could watch that on Google, YouTube. Anything you want. It's available for rent. Also, Oksana, isn't it going to be available? On March twenty sixth, I heard. Uh, I heard that it was. Yeah. Let me talk. <laughs> All right, we're show- yeah, we're showing the movie as part of our unnamed footage festival, which we released uh, to the press last week. Mm-hmm. Russ, how'd you feel about our press release? I was good. I'm. It's normally when we do a PR, it's like half of our program. This time, it's not even like a fucking tenth. We put out five movies, but we got 24 hours of shit, so we got a lot. Yeah, it's kind of interesting teasing out those and then just so many people are down just to hang out. I've already, a few people have told me they're going to try and do the whole thing. 
And I'm like, power to you. It's Don't. it's made for you to not be able. To. They know that we're not going to do the whole thing, right? Uh, we have thing. to because it's going to be live unless you fall asleep on camera. Yeah, I'm falling asleep. Yeah, we know I mean, this. I'm taking naps. You, oh my god, I I should know when you're doing a bit by now, but that scared me. <laughs> I'm like, we've been talking about this for months. You just if you, talk, you in the episode <laughs> you talked about taking naps while you were drumming. Yeah, but not anymore. Also, we'll I looked see. up, tried to look up Bill Cosby's Twitter while you we were talking. Yeah. And uh, I found Bill Cosby's Innocent Movement, uh, American Flag. Uh, do you know how many followers they have? 11. 1,900. Ooh. And uh, Good year. under there, expose the truth regarding the guilty verdict of Bill Cosby. Infidelity is a moral failing, not rape. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> Let me go ahead and give him a follow. So, again, Jillian, <laughs> great guest on this show. <laughs> Uh, no, we, we had a fun time uh, talking with Jillian about her film that uh, we quite enjoyed. Also, uh, Russell kept bringing up Promising Young Woman and how we paired those two together. Yeah, deal with and it. And it brought up a good conversation. I'm annoying, I know. <laughs> but before we get to all that, Oksana Valerianavanamanagagubadipa Osachi <laughs> has some things to tell us about regarding video on demand releases. Yes, I do. So, I don't know, uh, this is the new hashtag found footage horror week, <laughs> according to several people we follow on Instagram. Wait, really? Yeah. They're trying to, like, move it? It was, last year it was in March, I don't remember, it's some random date. I think it was March, yeah. This time it's the end of February, which I mean, I found footage February, yeah. I, yeah, I like the alliteration. And as part of found footage horror week found footage february you can watch a new addition to the found footage um trilogy holy shit that was scary i mentioned last week holy shit that was scary part three the cloud is coming out this thursday the 25th at 7 p.m pacific standard time um part three of our found footage horror anthology series has gone viral instead of being on the stage now it's in the cloud and it's everywhere so you can watch that at awesometheater.org yeah we had colin on here and the the first the first two parts were yeah that live play <laughs> so weird it was such a good experience i um i always got the feeling though that he wanted to make a movie like you could tell they had a lot of video components in that show and i'm uh pretty pumped for this he he did all the film components in the in the plays i'm pretty sure yeah and they're pretty good and that yeah i i really enjoyed the mixed media but i'm very very excited to watch it as just a horror anthology movie and also if you're one of those horror fans that likes to watch shit that other people don't know about for some reason nobody knows about this and uh you can own that <laughs> so put it on <laughs> social media and be the first one and support Awesome Theater, which is a local theater collective, I guess. I, don't know. Um, I heard they were awesome. <laughs> this week. <laughs> that was the fakest laugh for a joke. <laughs> it wasn't. Um, this week is also the official release of Wrong Turn 2021. That's not in the title. It's just Wrong Turn. I don't know if it's... I, it's not really a reboot. It's not really a sequel. It's it's kind of a reboot. It's not The Foundation, which was the original title. Right. Also, I review that movie. Um, I'm not, I can't even recall how we watched it. Apparently, it's not out yet. <laughs> I'm hoping it was a screener. <laughs> Just uh, ignore a little bit of what I said. That's out. 
Friday the 26th, um, that same day, I mentioned it last week as well, it's, it's related to Found Footage Horror Week, Safer at Home, which mostly takes place on Zoom, comes out. Um, it's about people throwing an online party in the second year of lockdown. <laughs> So is in the future. That's a good poster. I it is like a good it. poster. I think. I mean, the movie could be entertaining. It just looks like it could also be like kind of obnoxious. Yeah, pandemic, uh, boohoo future stuff. I <laughs> I can't really get into. Yeah. But I don't know why. I love the bold letters on a on a poster like that. Who started that? Is that a Tarantino thing? I feel like a Tarantino thing. No, Fincher. <laughs> it could be line. a Fincher thing. Yeah, you're right. Isolation is a killer is the tagline. Mm. I agree. <laughs> yeah, that's why we're trying to get Randy out of it. <laughs> Randy's a booze hound now. <laughs> yeah, we dude. don't want to cremate Hell him on yeah. a margarita. Randy's Randy's uh, the margarita man in uh, that documentary. Oh, you really put a twist dude, on that. Dude, Randy. <laughs> you should get in the Jimmy Buffett now, dude. No, that's a twist on the Margaritaville. I'm talking about cremation and cannibalism. <laughs> Dude, if Jimmy Buffett wrote a song about cremation and cannibalism, <laughs> so good. What about that cannibalism song? Where's Timmy or something? Oh yeah, there's we there's a cannibalism. Did Weird Al ever do a Jimmy Buffett thing? <laughs> no, I'm sure he did. He should have. I'm sure he did. <laughs> Randy, can you tweet him? <laughs> Again, yeah, if you I'm listen to Three Friends. Did you hear that episode, Randy? The three friends where they were talking about uh, they had a guest on whose friend dated Weird Al. <laughs> no, I missed that. Yeah. She was like, yeah, I had a buddy that dated Weird Al. Anyway, go listen to three friends. I think it's like four weeks ago. <laughs> I might listen to that. That's a they, strange connection. Yeah. They had All right. Oksana Wells. One more thing comes out that Friday the 26th or this Friday the 26th, and that is The Vigil. Um, okay, thanks. I'm trying to read. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So a man providing overnight watch to a deceased member of his former or boy providing overnight watch to a deceased member of his Orthodox Jewish community finds himself opposite a malevolent entity in writer director Keith Thomas's electrifying, electrifying future debut. Did you take a Kalanapin before this episode? Are you on horse tranks right now? I'm not a good out loud reader, usually. So Yeah, you get weird in the intro. (laughs) Well, you've done this segment two hundred (laughs) times. Yeah, but I didn't read this one ahead of time either, so I was like, Wow. (laughs) Also, I could not find a weird owl one. I just Googled it and gave up on the first link. Uh, but there is a parody song written by Aaron Dodson. Do you know that guy? Nope. Uh, Margaritaville has become Wikipedia. What? It's Wikipedia is the parody of that. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. It makes me cringe, too. That hurt. I don't think the syllables might up. Uh, no. For any questions, queries, concerns, or comments, please direct us at podcast at overlooktheater.com. Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, the other one. Find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy. It's not even my business what you do on your own personal time. The Overlook Hours available on Facebook is the Overlook Hour. The Overlook Hours available on Twitter is the Overlook Hour. And the Overlook Hours available on Instagram is the Overlook Theater. Find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy, Randy. See you next week in Margaritaville. <laughs> yeah. And until then... Bye, bitch.
would you come and be my property till you die? If I wanted to cut off one of your toes and keep it with me in my pocket, so I always had a piece of you in my possession? <laughs> this week's Two Sentence Horror Stories brought to you by Army Hammer. Ooh. Episode 3. It's like a fine wine. It just keeps getting better. This was a good one. This one had toes and stuff. It, it was good. I'm just kind of tired of Army. You and me, too. <laughs> but I don't have the best work ethic. <laughs> Tell him to stop committing. <laughs> Randy was supposed to write a two-sentence hall story, and he didn't deliver. I never deliver. <laughs> You're like the opposite of Carl Malone. <laughs> Is Guitar. he a, a sports guy? Oh, come on. Actually, Carl Malone, Russell... Russell, you should know Carl Malone because I you know kept, him. But you kept referring to him as Charles Barkley. As Charles, I, I'm pretty sure they're both pedophiles. As so. Charles Bar Charles Barkley is not. <laughs> oh, but, but Carl, Carl is. Well, Carl, yes. What about Carl's Jr.? Uh, supposedly Carl Malone. Yeah, uh, impregnated. <laughs> Actually, we're, we're, people also ask on Google which NBA player impregnated <laughs> a 13 year old. Answer: Carl Malone. Utah jazz legend Carl Malone reportedly impregnated a 13-year-old minor while he was 20. So why is Utah... That's only seven years. Why is um Utah the jazzy state? Okay. I <laughs> Very quickly, the New Orleans Jazz were a basketball team in the American Basketball Association. The New Orleans could not keep up with the basketball team, so they moved to Utah. And they never changed it. Oh, I thought there were cool jazz clubs in Utah. Also, that's the backstory. <laughs> Mormon jazz, it's not a thing. Louis Armstrong was actually from a suburb outside of Salt Lake City. <laughs> in the Salt Flats, you go to the nice jazz club, bring all your girls. Do they have ice? <laughs> no, I it's, doubt they do. They got the lake. <laughs> they have a lake. But not Salt Flats. Randy, you yeah, they have in, Salt Flats. Do they in Utah? Yeah. yeah. I, only, I only know that because our homie wrote a script about it. Oksana, Google the salt flat. Excuse me, Duck Duck Go, <laughs> the salt flats of Utah. Actually, uh, let's get some good. That's what Salt Lake City is named for. Hey guys, I'm just gonna go ahead and bounce. Hey, look. Okay. <laughs> oh, look at that. That's salt. Yeah, dude. Um, it's a desert. Now this isn't a burn, but a long time ago, our homie, uh, longtime listener, listener Sam, sent us a script. He wrote a western. Uh, and it's yeah, <laughs> I remember because you asked to read it. Yeah, it was like a year ago. I think it's won a few awards. Uh, people are shopping it around. Actually, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I can talk about any of this. Sam, I Sam, you the, could yell at me. Sam, later. I read the first few pages. <laughs> Stupendous. I think I talked about it on here because I gave him. He asked if I could read it and give him notes, and my notes were cut the first act out of the <laughs> fucking script. And it was him and his wife, and we did a Zoom call. And I felt like the biggest fucking douche. And I'm like, Sam, you're a better writer than I'll ever be. And what I'm about to say just feels hypocritical and totally rude. I'm like, drop the first act of this movie. <laughs> the whole first act? Why? And he uh, he listened to me and he thanked me for it later. But he didn't cut the whole thing. Well, just... Because well, um, yeah, that's crazy. Too. Well, uh, you know, um, start a scene late, leave early. And I thought a lot of the yeah I'm trying to do with this podcast continue yeah and it doesn't work in either occasion on um 
in that one, there's just a lot of stuff. I'm like, we already know that. We don't. We don't need to watch it. Yeah, was it cool? Did he have like boobs and stuff? It's and, a western, so it was definitely cool. Shootouts. It's just it's an interesting thing when your main character is uh, the way he is in that script. Again, I feel like he's going to yell at me if I talk about it. Well, <laughs> yeah, there's salt flats we there. Could use the fan interaction, right? And there's a jazz club right in the middle of it. Look at that. And I believe pedophiles and uh, what what are they? Monogamist? No, that's the reverse. Mormons. Mormons. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> They're very nice people. I believe it. And also, they're very American. Like, that whole push west with all the weird people who are like, I want to live the way I want to live. I'm going up here. And the Mormons survived because they had a good business model. Well, there's a lot of Mormons in Mexico. Amigo. Oh. Okay. That's where Mitt Romney grew up. Okay. <laughs> may or may not want to check that out. Something about, I think Mitt Romney's like dad moved to Mexico. Because of the whole, like, uh, or his grandfather? Yeah. They settled in Mexico because of the whole uh, polygamy situation. Yeah. We can't talk about him. He's canceled. Oh, I'm thinking of Kermit Rami. What? <laughs> I don't know. I just wanted to say Kermit. <sighs> Speaking of Kermit, our own Kermit, Randy Stad is here. Indeed. What is up? <laughs> I love how he just oh, completely took that. Randy. I uh-huh. forgot. Uh, we do have audience interaction. Do you? Uh, we? Yeah, and it's aimed at you. Hell yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, hey, you need to tell Randy that if he wants to proof bread dough and it's too cold, he can proof bread in the oven by placing a glass baking dish on the bottom rack of the oven and fill it with boiling water. Put the dough on the middle or, or the top rack and shut the door. The steam will heat from the boiling water. The steam heat from the boiling water will create a warm and steamy environment for the dough. That was my mom texting me. You're <laughs> <laughs> listening to you struggle. So tight. That, oh. That's all she said. And I was like, okay. <laughs> that's great. I'll have to try or, or you could just take a giant shit in your kit <laughs> in the steam from your dump. Yeah, I'll pass that text directly on to you as I had trouble reading it. Hell yeah. Tell her I said thanks. Or she's probably listening to this. Yeah. Also, no way Randy's going to do that. Well, you yeah, never know. also true. <laughs> Pressure from a stranger. You know, the type of friend Randy is, I think uh, he's way more likely to appease an acquaintance than he would me or you. Is that true, Randy? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like if I have <laughs> enough pressure, I will appease anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not well, a good thing all the time, but... <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's like someone's like, oh, yeah, you should do this. I'm like, eh. Then, like, I can be easily convinced to do a lot of things. All right. Well, come back in studio. Except for drink alcohol (laughs) and do drugs for 29 years of my life. Oh, dude. Yeah. What what broke it for you? You just got, it was a podcast, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I think it was just, we're just thinking about it for like, you know, a year or two. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know why I'm not doing it. You know, it's, I'm not the. I don't have like an addictive personality per se, you know? So it's like, I could easily probably get into drinking and do it <laughs> responsibly and not overindulge because that's not really like me. Well, then the next thing you know, you're popping mushroom caps and you're going <laughs> to see fucking uh, Tree of Life or whatever. <laughs> I wish it was Tree of Life. <laughs> no, Would have been a better Malik film for that. 
Um, that would have been pretty good. No, I think I remember. What's that Holmes comedian that I hate? Pete Holmes. Pete Holmes. I think he was on a podcast giving somebody shit because they're like, oh, you know, I'm straight edge. And he's like, you're drinking a coffee right now. I remember that being uh, a turning yeah. point for you, Randy, because you're like, fuck, I do drink coffee. And he's yeah. <laughs> That was definitely a thing for several years. Yeah, caffeine is definitely uh, mind altering. So oh. fuck it. Caffeine, sugar, oh, sugar. pussy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shout out to uh, one of our friends over at Barely Functional Gamers who has type 2 diabetes. Thank you, sugar. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, he's out of the ER. And moving That's around. A, a type A with type <laughs> 2. Although, <laughs> although he can't afford insulin right now, so he's oh, walking every morning. Well, that's what happens when you work at the Alamo for a long time and you have no savings. And then, uh, you know, we get locked down for over a year. And Obamacare. I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I th- he's doing fine. Uh, they haven't amputated yet. Man. How fucked up is that? Like a food, like your diet could lead to you losing a limb. Yeah. It's so brutal. I know. Our bodies are dicks, man. Well, <laughs> our diets are, mm, that's a, that's a choice. You're telling me. I, I, I'm the one counting down days right now. I, I know I'm looking at you, but I'm really talking to myself here. I had, dude, I had French toast with like Texas toast. You were there. But see, the, the issues with you, Russell, is that you, you, you're burning the candle on both ends. Uh, you got wicks on the top and wicks yeah. on the bottom. Yeah. And they just burn it and wax is going everywhere. You need to sleep more. <laughs> no. Meditate. Hmm? Oksana, meditation? Boo. No. What do you mean, boo? I'd rather read. <laughs> I'm extreme. You used ADD. to read more. I do read. Yeah, you read. That's not meditating. That's, that's I'll, I'll allow it. No, meditating is like actively trying to not think. And I did, tr- I used to try and do that, and I just, it felt like a huge waste of time. No. See, that's, that's when you're succeeding. As, <laughs> as Randy tells us all the time, it's the it's the journey, not the destination. Oh yeah, right. The Hell depression, yeah. the creeping depression means it's working. Yeah, I've had that for years. It's not <laughs> creeping. It's here, baby. It's crept. <laughs> it's crept and slept. She has arrived. <laughs> all right. Uh, we got anything else up top? Nah, it's Monday. It is Monday. The reason why it's Monday is because we did not record the intro yesterday because I thought, hey, this Woody Allen documentary is coming <laughs> out. Maybe we can watch it and talk about it. And we're like, yeah. And then did y'all watch it? I didn't. I did. Yeah. All right. Maybe. Yeah, I knew, I knew y'all would. All right. Well, here's what I didn't know. I didn't know it was there. It's four parts. Mm-hmm. I And they're, they're, it's going to be four separate weeks. Why? I don't. Why? Drag it out. Money. I hate it. Content. It's no, it's, you know. Cancel culture. I don't know. Uh, so this is Allen versus Pharaoh. A look behind the years of sensational headlines to reveal the private story of the accusation of sexual abuse against Woody Allen involving his seven-year-old daughter with Mia Farrow. Now. I... Pretty much only knew about the Sunni stuff because everyone does. Mm-hmm. Randy, did, were you aware of of this situation? Yeah, I was big break. No, I was aware of most of the uh, 
allegations in in said episode. I'd heard most of the most of it already with Bill and Pharaoh. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know of how. Yeah, <laughs> it went into a little more detail than I had known, which was uncomfortable. But yeah, I had known for the most part. Yeah, it, it goes into um, story. Uh, Mia Farrow is is very um, candid in this, along with with Dylan Farrow, and uh, they are recounting some uh, memories uh, involving Woody Allen, um, involving Dylan, and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's not good. It's not good for old the Woodster. <laughs> but I feel like I don't know why. This episode closes with the um, discovery of the nude photos of Soon Yi as a teenager that she made for Woody Allen. And so now I think we're going to pick up that side of the story. But <sighs> I'll say that in, you know, four episodes later, we're still going to be. Why? Why? <laughs> Thanks so long. I don't know. I just feel like that this whole thing is going to get dragged out and, uh, you know, be another Finding Neverland. Leaving yeah. Neverland? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that movie was fucking graphic. <laughs> Very graphic. <laughs> mm-hmm. this, this, is, this is not great. Well, I'm okay. Now, if you're watching this shit, I almost feel like people are hoping it goes there. When I was watching the Michael one, I wanted to get in the nitty gritty. I'm like, tell me the shit. And then, you know, you hear about little kid buttholes all the time. And you're like, yeah, maybe I didn't want this. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you pitch Woody Allen. It's a director I don't really care for anyway. And I'm not super interested in like, I don't know, a smear campaign against him. Now, Randy, I don't know. I was talking to Clark about this last night. How much does this have to do with like the Ronan Farrow book? And are they actually pressing like, charges against him or is this just to like ruin an old man's career which is i mean i don't i don't know exactly uh i think ronin shows up in it as well but it's his um, okay yeah yeah like what's the point i don't know well the point i think that she finally she wants to tell her story fine i mean if they press charges good I'm fine with that. Let's fucking party. They did it with the Jinx. They got uh, what's his name in jail because of this documentary. So, who's the um, Jinx? I think we had this exact conversation. You, you, I can't believe you don't know the Jinx. I know the Pokemon. <laughs> That's what I said <laughs> last night. I don't know the what Jinx. Is, what is the guy? Is that the Robert Durst? Hey, yeah. I count them. Count them all. No, I don't know. He's a pedo. No, he killed two people. Oh, he killed people. And he talked about it on the show, and they caught him. They aired it on the show of him admitting to the murder. Yeah. After the whole show was about him denying the murders. And then he thought the camera was off, and he's like, yeah, I killed him. I killed him. <laughs> he was like that uh, teacher's uh, oh, counsel in the East Bay. not aged well. <laughs> God, why does he, he look bad. like he's about to throw up in that one? His airs, his... Uh, Cheeks are filling up with air, but we're not talking about Robert Durst. We're talking about Woody Allen. Randy, what what did you think about this first episode? Uh, like I said, I you know already heard rumor of most of the stuff that happened in the episode, or the stuff that they were talking about. And then I don't know. I by the time the episode ended, I was kind of like, oh, that's it. But obviously, it's a four part thing, so it's going to be a little bit stretched out. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. It's definitely weird and uncomfortable. And I don't know. I mean, it gets into, uh, in the beginning, you know, it's talking about Woody Allen and why people such as myself like his movies and how like it kind of speaks to neuroses, uh, you know, even if you're like a teenager and like, you know, early 20s and kind of like understanding that and how his films kind of speak to that. So, you know, I'm definitely a, a fan of his movies um, for the most part. Not all of them. Uh, later, Woody Allen, not a huge fan of. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It seemed like they're trying to, uh, yeah, you know, create the create the story and kind of fill in people that don't have the knowledge of uh, what happened or what potentially happened. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, I'll, uh, I'll stick around for all four episodes, but I don't know. Yeah, it seems like it's just going to get like like the MJ documentary and be kind of just like, but the big difference with the MJ documentary is that Woody Allen is still with us. So True. Yeah. And, I mean, look, uh, you go around and you, 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 you're a pederast. Like, things need to happen to you. My hero growing up was Bill Cosby. I had yeah. to separate the person from the art. I, I, I will still listen to those old Bill Cosby records, and they still hold a very special place in my heart. And, you know, the guy is a fucking monster. Yeah, I don't know. I completely disagree. And I know I've mentioned that so many times on here. I think interesting art is made usually by fucking foul people. And it's kind of like their gift, I guess. It's but a, yeah, uh, yeah, tortured people. Yeah. Tortured people. Well, I, I mean foul, too. And it's, it's, you know, dependent on, you know, holding the demons at bay. Yeah. And again, I don't, I don't have But it's like also a, a power thing. It was absolutely a power thing with Bill Cosby. With Woody, I uh, I don't know, and maybe in this nineteen series documentary we'll figure something out. Well, that's why I'm confused about the Woody one because now the Michael Jackson one, he was a celebrity that we could never replicate again. He was like god of the world and just huge. He dominated the one means of entertainment we had, and Woody Allen, he I don't know, he's kind of like a film buff. Like guy, you know what I mean? Like a casual audience that isn't loving a Woody Allen. And I'm kind of like to drag him out. Like, like as a fan, Randy, what are you looking for? Just like, Oh, it's, I like Woody Allen. I'll watch a documentary. Or is it kind of like, Oh, I need to pay for supporting this guy. Or are you actually like, Oh, I'm curious what he did to these children. No, I mean, it's not a, uh, not trying to punish myself. You know, I yeah. have, I have several of his movies on DVD and Blu-ray and you know, I'll I'll keep those, you know, it's not going to change my opinion Good um, of those, but I don't know. I'm just kind of interested to see potentially what uh what's what's out there and what uh Mia Farrow and all them have to say and I don't know. I'm just kind of just going in with with open eyes. As am I, but I'm expecting a lot of retread and just them stretching this shit out, which frustrates me. So, I'm yeah. already going in with trepidation on this after episode 1. Yeah, we should also say that I did uh, spend $6 to rent the new Woody Allen movie uh, the same day before I watched this. Oh, so you support pedophiles. Great, Randy. <laughs> Fucking great. I figured, you know, it was uh, his previous one didn't actually get U.S. distribution, but this one with uh, Timothy Chalamet and Selena Gomez uh, actually did. Oh. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's very formulaic to the Woody Allen thing, especially like late Woody Allen films. It of course uh, is shot gorgeously and looks really good. Um, 
the Chalamet, there is like voiceover in the beginning, kind of like setting up the story and the voiceover like is terrible. It's him like trying to do like a <laughs> New Yorker thing. But yeah, then in the actual movie, he's good. Yeah, he's like playing a Woody Allen surrogate who, you know, has a girlfriend or a wife and then he falls in love with somebody else and they get together in the end. But uh, he's actually good in the movie, but the voiceover thing was very odd. Ugh. I don't know, man. Humans were a weird beast and we're so sure. quick to tear down other people and just pretend like the shit we did didn't happen. And I don't know, it's weird. I would totally watch it for the gossip. I just, I don't know. Yeah. The current climate, I'm not. But if I'm you not fucked down. kids, Russell. What? <laughs> you want to go find him? We go light, break a broomstick and light yeah. it on fire and go <laughs> find his house? Yeah, it probably wouldn't take much. He's I don't know. 93 years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I try not to worry too much about pedophiles because our culture, I mean, there is no more a despised person than a pedophile. And I feel like it corrects itself. Uh, they don't need my energy there. Not always, brother. You should just go move in with Polanski. <laughs> How many just children bail. does Mia Farrow have? Mama Mia. She's got Mama a lot. Mama Mia. <laughs> Ma, <I don't, laughs> Man, hey, Mama Mia Farrow. 12 kids. All right. What? Five stars. Everybody on Letterboxd. <laughs> Are we going to do a, uh, a Farrow roundup? A Woody roundup every week? <laughs> Follow this show along? It depends. Actually, we kind of, it, it's a talking head documentary, right? I didn't even ask. No, David Byrne is not on it. <laughs> it took me a minute. It's Monday night. How does I'm it sorry. take you a minute? I say it every I know, time you and say it. That's why I had to clarify it's Monday but night. But I changed, I changed my uh, cadence. So you did. It was a little quick, too. Thank you. You're too quick on the draw there. 14, Randy. She has 14 children. And Damn. who's top billing? Ronan and Soon Yi. Ooh. <laughs> Oh my God, I read that as chicken. I think I might need glasses. <laughs> She's I'm like, why in your Wikipedia does it say she has 14 chicken? chicken. <laughs> She's got 14 chicken. I'm like, somebody's doing some really good journalism over there. No, that's what she ordered for lunch. Also, shout out to Bobby Miller, who, when I try to get on Twitter and interact with people and I tweet about his... <laughs> uh, Muppet cancel culture post where uh, Gonzo's holding two chickens in a very uh, admirable fashion and I bring in our old friend Brock Laborde to uh, give us his poultry science expertise he deletes the post this happens every damn time we have a, we have a former guest that posts something kind of like slightly edgy in our fucking new um, cancel like or in our new censorship culture and I try to like Make a joke out of it, and they delete the fucking post. Randy, you really got to take over the Twitter. <laughs> I am very, very sorry, and I beg for your forgiveness. It's okay, Bobby. I'll get you on the next one. Randy Michael. Yes, sir. What have you seen? I've seen a couple things, uh, mostly things that you guys have talked about already. Ooh. So, uh, Wait, what's that called? We know what a Randy retread is. A Randy is. reverse tread. <laughs> a, a little retread? Yeah, a Russell and Clark retread. I don't know. That's not, that's not uh, original at all. Um, Hold on. Say, say that again, Randy. Russell and Clark retread. <laughs> uh, it wasn't what I was planning on talking about, but uh, I saw Seder finally and loved it. Hell yeah. Um, and then I also watched Psycho Gorman. Which I appreciated, but it is not a movie that is for me. 
Yeah. But there was a band playing. You didn't get your band mojo going? No. The, yeah. <laughs> not, not my thing. You don't like the Hunky Boys? No, not really. Well, I'm glad you liked Seder. Um, I've gotten, like, I don't know why. I put Seder out there and I'm like, dude, I love this movie. And then everybody went, oh, really? You love it? I'm going to check it out, which they never do for anything. Yeah. And uh, split down the middle, man. Huh. I mean, Terrell got very mad one night. It was like, why y'all tell me this movie was good? This movie was boring. And I'm like, hey, man, it's just not for you. And then he started getting to me. And I was like, don't worry. They'll make a Despicable Me 4 for you. <laughs> and he was like, oh, what's that mean? And we got into a text argument. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm glad that the good now outweighs wow. the bad. <laughs> he did not like that. But, yeah. I mean... I'm I'm kind of gonna take Terrell's side. Y'all didn't give him a heads up about what Seder. Well, okay. To, if you were in the room with our good friend, Blu-ray collector, horror aficionado, he he was like, "Oh, what y'all watching? Oh, why'd you watch this without me?" And I was like, "Fool! He invited you over if you want to come see it." And he declined, and then he you know saw us post about it. So then he went and watched it. No, no interaction there. Okay. Yet I got the burden of, you know, recommending it, which I would have anyway. All right. That's right. Now I'm back on your side. But he's totally the example that I always bring up about like cooking mac and cheese in the kitchen while you have a movie going. Cooking mac and cheese. That's him. Cooking mac and cheese. I really think yeah. so. He's either on his phone or doing two other things. So Seder, you really got to, <laughs> you got to give that movie some love. Oh, yeah. 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 I also, uh, I probably should have watched it later. In the day, because uh, it was a little hard to see some of the scenes. I had a little bit of a glare situation going on, but it was still, it was still very good. You watch a movie on the sunrise outside. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna talk like this for the rest of the show. No, I just don't have a very good setup at home. What's your setup, Randy? Walk me through <laughs> it. No curtains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking convertible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I don't like doing blackout curtains in the middle of the day because then I feel like I get I get sleepy, you know? Well, I'm there with and you. And depressed and sad and just want to end it. Yeah, exactly. I'm the <laughs> Dude, I love a blackout curtain. It, I just don't want to do anything else. It's like you wake up and you're like, eh, 10 o'clock. Go back I to sleep, need, wake up, 2 o'clock, eh, go back to sleep. But Randy, like, do you not need complete darkness to go to sleep? I need complete darkness. <laughs> it's pretty dark when I go to sleep, yeah. Both outside and in my heart. I mean, <laughs> everything is black now. Russell, your thoughts. Russell, I feel like you could sleep in a goddamn hurricane, uh, in a moving well, bus. You give me shit for burning both uh, wicks, or what is the scene? Burning the candle from both, both ends. ends. Yeah. Uh, but if I don't do that, I can't. I'm like, um, I think too much. So I'll lay there in bed yeah. awake for hours. And the more I try to go to sleep, the less I will. I have, I have two tricks. I have two <laughs> tricks that I use. And I know that if I, can, if I can drift off thinking about one of these two things, then I know I'll go to sleep. Oh, no. If I can't focus on one of those two things, I know that I'm, I turn the TV back on. Oh, okay. And I, I start to wind down again. That's my trick. What? What? Oh, but what about your glasses and the drugs? That doesn't count. Those are also. Okay. Those are, those are, <laughs> I, it's hard for me to keep up with the whole glasses routine uh, during the weekdays. On the weekends, you know, I wear the sunglasses on the weekends. 
Yeah, no, dude. If I don't do shit all day, I'll be awake all night. Like I can't sleep. Yeah. But again, when I was younger and when I like first met you, dude, I was falling asleep at work, which I'm standing up doing shit, or like I'd be playing drums, falling asleep. So I'm not there anymore. Yeah. Thank God. I'm not there either. I don't yeah. fall asleep while watching movies dude, anymore. Playing drums though, like actively in well, a that song, like a drug problem. I, but it wasn't. I'd be. Sober, like doing nothing. I'm just like I'm Have running. You out. never, you never slept as like. What was your sleeping schedule in high school? Um, bad, because I never did homework. Stay either. up late. Nor no, did I. You know, but I would have anxiety about it because I loved going to school. But life is homework. That's the one thing they don't teach you. I, but you know, I would have anxiety about the interaction I was going to have about not doing my homework. Yeah. So instead of doing my homework, I would lay there and dread going to school because I didn't. What? Yeah. That's wrong. I was a child. I don't know. I should have just been like, fuck homework. <laughs> I don't imagine you were. No, I was not that cool. I was just a procrastinator. Yeah. My hell, we've taken role reversals in life. I know we, and we stole Randy's segment. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all Wait, good. It's just Randy, it's fucking retread. Who cares? <laughs> This is also almost a retread because I talked uh, with Robbie about it before we started recording last week. But uh, I watched a movie oh, called Not a Retread. No, almost. <laughs> it's like half retread. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, I watched a movie last week called Little Fish, directed by Chad Hardigan. Uh, it just came out, I think, last week as well. Um, IFC is distributing it. Uh, it's a movie that features Olivia Cook and Jack O'Connell, who are excellent in this movie. Um, the The plot of the movie essentially is, uh, so they're a couple and they're uh, fighting to keep their relationship together um, as a memory loss virus spreads uh, across the world. Um, so there is a pandemic of sorts of uh, memory loss uh, in this movie. It was actually written before covid um, I watched a Q&A with a director and he was like, yeah, it's either uh, very good timing or very bad timing for this movie to come out. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, as I mentioned, the two main actors in this movie um, are very good uh, in it. And it's kind of like an intimate, sort of like a melancholy sci-fi love story. Um, yeah, and it has like the, you know, the memory loss situation going on. So I think it could sort of like reward... Um, Rewatching it a little bit because um, I think it messes with sort of like the timelines um, of the scenes that you're seeing. So yeah, it kind of reminded me of uh, sort of like uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It kind of had uh, vibes of like another Earth. So kind of just like indie sci-fis that are kind of like uh, not like romantic, but sort of have like a love story component. Um, sort of like a little bit of her uh type of type of feel to it um yeah it's really good i think if you're into like this type of movie and you are okay with seeing uh you know pandemic world building in the meaning in the middle of a actual pandemic um it's pretty good now randy i don't know we're looking here at the production details and it did say filming locations wuhan china so <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they go to a lab in the beginning and they like take a vial out. And, <laughs> and then they act like they forgot. And then uh, <laughs> yeah. a year later, Robert England gets the first vaccine. Dude, did you hear what Penn is doing now? 
they're uh they forced the uh i don't know if i want to go down here the, the, I don't either. <laughs> WHO, they forced them to uh, investigate the possibility of tainted frozen food coming into China that caused the whole pandemic. Yeah. They said you cannot look in here unless you, you know, take serious look at this allegation. What about tainted love? <laughs> I don't know. And also, when I was looking up uh, Little Fish, I typed in Clark Little Fish. <laughs> IMDb figured it out, though. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Also, the Sonic the Hedgehog movie is pretty good. Yeah, dude, it rips. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's fun. Former guest engineer, um, Chris, the other half of Barely Functional Gamers, the one that is not in threat of being amputated, he uh, watched Sonic the Hedgehog. He interrupted me during my podcast at work and said, hey, I watched Sonic. And I went, oh, weird, why? (laughs) He's like, you know, we're just watching a movie. I was like, what would you think? He's like, I thought it was garbage. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dude. And I was like, really? Everybody liked um, Jim Carrey. And he's like, no, Jim Carrey's being fucking Jim Carrey. And then he started doing this weird, like, movement. He was just like, you know, Jim Carrey. And started going like, Ugh. I was like, okay. okay. <laughs> Dude, Sonic's good. Sonic is fun. I had a blast with it. Yeah. Jim Carrey is bananas. I won't do that. <laughs> I only like Sonic when he's eating chili dogs. He's chili dogs in this motion really? picture. Uh, that's not canon. It is canon. <laughs> I only like it when call him Eggman. Oh, Randy, last night I made a hot dog, but you know, uh, for the past two days, not today. Today is the first day where I've not, but I've been frying my own French fries. <laughs> Damn, hell yeah. And air fryer? Also, uh, no, deep fryer, baby. Hell oh, yeah. Air fry bullshit. Um, I made some, I made rippers, dude. You've explained that before, and I've already forgotten. <laughs> Ripper Owen, dude. Rippers is, is fried hot dogs. Oh, uh, that's right. And they get all super wrinkly. I don't even know her. They're fucking the best. <laughs> all right. Randy, what'd you rate Sonic on uh, Letterboxd? I think three. <gasps> yeah, I knew it. You're like, I liked it. Dude, I gave it a two. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> better than it should have been. What? Okay, what'd you give Gorman? Uh, I think also three. Okay. Oh, see, okay. I held, I held up the number two. I, I can was, I can appreciate how it was made and it looked really good. It just yeah, it's just not my yeah, thing. Randy, that movie, you are not the demographic. No. <laughs> no. Also, I'll tell you this. I think because we're having these little what I'm going to call therapeutic, uh, Randy letterbox review sessions. Oh god. I think that his letterbox reviews has improved. No, I think Randy gets it, and three is really the meanest uh, rating. That that is insane. No, it's boring. Is boring is worse than bad. No. Yeah. No. Here's the thing: if it's boring, it gets a low score from me. Yeah. If it's in the middle, that's my story. That's why we're on the opposite end. Because you remember a one. Boring is one. You forget a three. No, we're opposite side because that's how numbers work, Russell. We both agree. But our presentation and our execution are not on the same side. I, I, you know, I think bad is too broad of a word. And I think what I'm trying to articulate with the one is like the emotion. And I think a one for me, I, I got to hate it. Like it makes me angry. What's a one? A one for me, a World War Z. I fucking hate World <laughs> I War Z. I would agree with you. Yeah. But I mean, that movie's not only bad in like a bunch of technical ways, but it's like infuriating as like an unneeded add on to a genre. Uh, a retelling of a book everybody loved and they fuck it up. 
Uh, it has one of the most offensive CGI zombie attacks ever. They they feel like they steal the dr- see, but I, I remember all this shit, and I've I don't want to. <laughs> but that movie makes me fucking angry look when at, I think about it. That. That's look why that. that movie's a one for me. And you know, like, but again, I would have more fun talking about a one than I would a three. Like, I can't even think of a three right now. And if a three, I'd probably be like. Eh, maybe you'd be into it. I didn't like it. And I, that's boring. You know, I do a podcast because I like talking about film. A three? I got nothing. It's like Randy and Psycho Gorman. Eh, not for me. <laughs> but I could talk shit on fucking World War Z. Fuck that movie. Dude, they do the raptor thing with the zombie. It's really bad. It's like he knows how to open doors. It's a fuck that <laughs> movie. And I hate it, that movie. I, I feel bad for my boy Brad Pitt. Do you? He didn't ask for that. Did he, he produce that too? hundred percent. Yeah, he beat out Leonardo in a bidding war, it's right? His fault. Yeah, it's his fault. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that movie made a mini monies. Oh yeah, and then it actually tanked another movie that I really like, Jerusalem with the Z. Oh, I didn't like that. Oh, dude, I as a found footage fan, I thought it's unique and one I think about all the time. Um, but again, the marketing—they really used that Z on the cover because they wanted to get that World War Z dollar. Yeah. And it made me not watch the movie for like five years until, you know, a random. God, that cover's terrible, it's too. <laughs> no good. But the movie's self aware. They have the Google glasses and they make a joke about bad CGI early on. Yeah. Address the elephant and I'm good. Undress the elephant and I'm better. Ooh. Hey. <laughs> Randy, write that down. Okay. <laughs> All right, Randy, you got anything else, Bab? No, we're good. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. What do you want to hear first? Do you want to hear the random movie that I watched this week? Or do you want to hear the newest edition in Clark's John Grisham Uh, Review? Let's get that one out of the way. Okay. (laughs) This week's John Grisham Movie. Russell, what do you think I want? Wait, can you name this segment, please? It really makes me enjoy it more. Can we call it like a little John Grisham? (laughs) A little, a little, come on. A little John Grisham. All right. We need Betty Hi, music it's next me. week. <laughs> <laughs> Little John Grisham. <laughs> I'm an ex-lawyer who wrote a couple of novels. You had him in your pocket the whole time? Let me tell you something. John Grisham is definitely in my pocket. <sighs> did you watch the Pelican Brief? <laughs> Randy? The Pelican Blood? I did not watch the Pelican Brief. What about the blood? I did watch the Pelican blood. <laughs> when is that coming Months out? Ago, no idea. <laughs> I watched a time to kill. Now, what you need to know is this: a Bond movie. My what? That's a Bond title. No, it is not. A, a time to kill. Let me tell you something. A time to kill. That's a good. That's a good movie title. It is a good movie. It's title. a good novel title, which is the name of his first book that he wrote. Now, I know a little oh, bit about this I, because oh God. This book, the cover of this paperback novel is paperback. stuck in <laughs> is stuck in my head because it was it was in our uh family home and my dad I think my dad read this four or five times. Really? He would constantly go back and read a time to kill. I have no idea why. Dude, my dad would read the worst fucking thing. He read every John Grisham book. Love John Grisham. My mom gave up on him. 
and your dad uh, or the book. <laughs> and uh, well, he loved John Grisham. He also, dude, he, you know what else he would read? What the all those Bill O'Reilly bullshit books, killing Lincoln, killing Kennedy. Oh, okay. And I said, Dad, it's like he's killing literature. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a John Lovitz joke? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Hey, Dad. Um, so a time to kill. I just uh, very familiar with the cover of this book um, in our family home library. Uh, never seen the movie until I re I watched this and I'm watching uh, the movie and I'm uh, getting some recall. And I think I've seen this movie before. Total Recall. And I have no recollection of it whatsoever. But I am pretty sure this is the second time I've seen oh, it. Oh, it's, it's a procedural. So I think I've seen it too. Here's what you need to know Matthew McConaughey plays the young, hot shot lawyer who has inherited this law firm from uh, Donald Sutherland, who is an old drunk man who lost his law license and will never set foot in a courtroom ever again. Uh, but Matthew McConaughey is poor and he has no clients. His buddy, uh, Rex, is a very good lawyer, but he's not trustworthy and he's a scumbag, <laughs> but he's got money. And Sandra Bullock plays a law student who goes to Ole Miss and she is an expert and her daddy's very rich and he's gonna help. she's going to help Matthew McConaughey win this case. Here's the case. Samuel Jackson has a 10-year-old daughter. That 10-year-old daughter is walking home on a dirt road with yep. some groceries. These two rednecks pull up in this truck, and they throw a beer can at her head, and then they tie her up to a tree, and they rape her, and they leave her to die, but she doesn't die. So then Samuel Jackson comes home. He sees his daughter, and then these boys playing basketball. They figured out who these guys were. He tracked them down. And he killed him in the courtroom. Now, shot him. Everyone saw him shoot them. Yeah. Like everyone is there. Matthew McConaughey's there. <laughs> uh, Kiefer Sutherland is, uh, plays a brand new KKK member, by oh. the way. So Kiefer Sutherland <laughs> plays this guy who goes to the KKK, played by uh, Red from that 70s oh, show. Oh, okay. Kurtwood yeah. Smith plays the Grand Dragon of the KKK. <laughs> and they go Grand to the secret the meeting. Way. They say both. Oh. I think it's Grand Dragon. It's Wizard. They say dragon in I, the movie. As an offended D&D fan, I've, you know, I know these things. The fact that you're defending for the KKK, no, that's wrong. I'm, you know, I just want our audience to be well informed. <laughs> I think it's the Grand Dragon. They'd look like a fool if they're walking around like the Grand Dragon. They are fools. <laughs> Not our so, audience. We love you. So then, it's so weird. They show up. <laughs> Keeper Sutherland shows up and then Kurtwood Smith is like, you know what? I like you. You're in the clan now. And so then they had this David impromptu Lynch? thing. I know. <laughs> so then he's this newly branch. He's got his own branch of the KKK now. And they're and they are just giving Matthew McConaughey, oh boy, they're giving him guff. They they burn down his house. They try to kidnap his wife. What else do they do? Oh, they kidnap Sandra Bullock because, yeah, is is a bunch of nonsense. There's a lot, man. <laughs> Joel Schumacher. Let's talk about Joel Schumacher real quick. 
Let's talk about you, Mosker. He, he's not good, right? Like, he's not... This movie's not good. I don't know. You know, there's a really easy way to tell if a director's good. How many Criterion releases does he have? Here's and here's why, <laughs> because it's it's a very it's a very and again, I'm from Mississippi. I understand the history of my home <laughs> state. Okay, but and it's these cartoonish um, adaptations that sort of irk me, and this certainly falls into line. Like one thing that drives me insane, Oksana, please pick any of these characters it, it, it within the production of the film. Oh, thank you. Every look at all three of these. They're all sweating. Everyone in this movie is soaking wet. It is so annoying. He did the same thing in the client. They're all dripping wet all the time. It's gross. I hate it. Two stars. Wait, Batman and Robin's on Criterion? No, it's not. Is this a fake cover? A hundred percent has to be. <laughs> okay, it is. Um, because the bat nips are on the cover. I mean, I know Criterion has some weird posters every now and then. But I will tell you, Samuel Jackson gives a speech in a jail cell that is a home run round the bases as to why he explains to Matthew McConaughey how this thing ends is insane. Um, oh, Kevin Spacey's in this before he uh raped boys. Oh my god, (laughs) he's also in it. Um, Yeah, it's kind of fun to watch. Oh, McConaughey's good. This is the movie that turned McConaughey into a star. What were you saying, Oksana? All I can see is how everyone's glistening now. <laughs> Everyone is soaking wet all the time. It's gross. Even it, the vampire. Okay. Wait, what's his name? Oh, Oliver Platt. He's my okay. boy. Yeah. He plays Rex. Uh, uh, who cares? Sweaty Rex. Sweaty Rex. <laughs> okay. All right. You got a segment for your next film, too? This. The Next. Clark Little Random Roundup or something. Ooh, I don't hate that. I know. <laughs> Wait, it's all in the pitch. I, random, but I wanted to make it CCR. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> creepy Clark's Roundup. All right, creepy. Come in. Uh, I watched. I watched Silk Road. Oh, oh the documentary. <laughs> no. Wait, what? The, the narrative. Film. Film. Oh wait, I, okay. By director Tiller Russell. Oh my boy. Philosophical twenty-something Ross Albrecht creates Silk Road, a darknet website that sells drugs. While DEA agents—that's a funny <laughs> sentence—a <laughs> dark road website that sells drugs. While DEA agent Rick Bowden goes undercover to bring him down. This is one of the worst movies I have seen in recent memory. <laughs> Sold. I'll watch it. It is so paint by numbers. It is so old school versus new school yeah. that it makes you want to vomit. Man, Jason Clark is very talented. They give him nothing. It just his character is so one note in this. He plays a guy who gets kicked out of his old squad. Because he's he's too old school and he they, he's roughing him up and then they said him all right you're going to cyber crimes and, and he's then, like oh the nerds he's like computer <laughs> and it's a whole bit of like this is a computer what is this though I want to bust a bad guy <laughs> so fucking dumb but I told you, it's probably a boomer director they got right yeah oh dude Randy so I was telling Russell about this movie and and. 
he was pretty much saying the same thing now of like, yeah, of course it sucked. It's probably directed by some fucking boomer. Mm-hmm. And so I looked up Tiller Russell and his age. <laughs> Oksana, would you please go ahead and give us that uh, that uh, satisfaction right now? Please Google how old is Tiller Russell? Yeah, because my theory was that if an old guy is directing a movie about a like budding new internet technology, of course they're going to get it wrong because he doesn't know it. Did did you do it? Yeah, I, right. I can keep stalling if you need to keep looking. One, uh, one of these websites says uh, the the age of oh yeah, who is Tiller Russell? Ten facts on the director of Netflix is blah blah blah. Scroll. He directed down. Night Stalker. Yes. Name, Tiller Russell, age, 45 to 55. <laughs> <laughs> then scroll down more. Yeah, uh, 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 scroll under down, review? scroll down. Yeah, scroll down. Oh, there we married go. status to, under review. To date, there is no exact information about his birth year and current <laughs> age. However, there seems to be in his late 50s. God. <laughs> so how do they get there? Just looking at him? I, it's fucking dumb. But yeah, I... um. So I looked up a little bit about Silk Road. Uh, you want to bring up children in this world? My God. Well, remember um, uh, the Dread Pirate Sir Roberts mm-hmm. was his name, and he got arrested out here in a library. And I... What's oh, in the movie? I think back when we were doing Overlook reviews, I reviewed Unfriended 2, and my wrap-up for it was actually comparing a lot of the critiques being like, it's... It's too dumb, and uh, anybody who had this kind of like um, skill would never be that like lame. And people like even Madeline was calling it like a boomer movie, like I'm doing to this fucking film. And um, I defended it with the dude who ran Silk Road called himself the Dread Pirate Roberts. He's a dork. That's the new world we're in. It's just it's IPs and lame jokes. So and- they say they barely go into the. Dread Pirate Roberts. Thing. Of course, because he doesn't know they what's spend, interesting. They spend all the time talking about him being a libertarian. Oh, I know. I didn't want to bring that up. That's all. They hey, man, it's about. the free market. You know what? And they're just mad he was making money and it was decentralized. He wasn't paying nobody. Power to him. Randy, this is a poor man's social network on a homeless man's budget. <laughs> That's what this is. I mean, God, you make me want to watch it. It's not good at all. The dialogue is so grating and just filler to put everything together. There's nothing interesting that's happening in this movie whatsoever. Again, I think that's a product of a too old director. And, you know, I'd never thought about age um, from like a managerial perspective on set until somebody made that argument about the Slender Man movie. And they're like, hey, look at the dude that directed the Slender Man. Why the fuck is he like in charge of dialogue and delivery for these children? And I was thinking back on it and I'm like, now, just a warning. I like Slender Man, I, but I thought it was a weird piece of not good. And uh, they're right. I guess the dude was old. He's like 50 years old or something. And it, it just doesn't translate. Gen Z yeah. is weird. You know what I mean? I have two younger sisters that are, oh, I, I think they are Gen Z, but like, you know, you think you're never going to get old and then you meet one of them and you're like, dude, have you heard about the new thing? Again, I'm into crypto now, so I pay attention to oh, this boy. <laughs> blockchain and everything. Um, did you hear about the new type of trading card they've made? No. Where you buy a numbered video clip 
So you can buy LeBron dunking on somebody. It's a video clip of him dunking, but it's, it exists digitally and they'll make a thousand of them. Mark Cuban is pushing it. And uh, I guess yesterday, the market, they sold like $45 million worth of these like digital kind of like they're collectibles. They're digital collectibles. Mark Cuban was also pushing to get rid of the national anthem for sports. I heard that too. Cuban's a weird one. He's like an interesting entrepreneur who saved a basketball team and is on Shark Tank. <laughs> Doesn't he like own landmark theaters too? Yeah. Yeah. He's, a, he's an interesting guy. I don't always agree with him, but uh, I like listening to him. I like hearing his, his thought. Well, let me tell you something. He loves to talk. Yeah, he does. So that sounds out. Yeah, what the fuck is it called? It's called like uh, True Image, True Memories or something. I don't know. Look into it. He's only worth $4.2 billion, dude. That's fucking What a weird. bitch. What a fucking creepy <laughs> looking God. bitch. Look at, yeah, look at that <laughs> smile. Dude, he's got Bruce Campbell chin. Oh, he does. Look at that. Yeah, dude, he he's yeah. Oh, look at those fucking veneers. He's got like some little girl arms though, and it always weirds me out. He's got such a big frame, <laughs> you can tell he, he, you you make a choice. He has a weird body. Yeah, he's you know he's got a heavy brain and a big frame, and it ends up looking like Noodle Man. Heavy brain and a big frame. <laughs> <laughs> heavy brain on the frame. Right. Silk Road's terrible. Uh, one star. I believe my letterbox review. Oh, Russell, let me pull up my letterbox review. I think you may like it. Why? <clears throat> I, I do like that you're uh, more attentive when it, it's coming to being, you know, a part of social media. Wait, Randy, where do I find my reviews? <laughs> oh, God. Here we go. <clears throat> Two silk roads forged in a wood. <laughs> we chose the one that sucked. Robert <laughs> Frost. <laughs> oh, what? Oh, I gave it two stars. Oh, I should have gave it one. See, I don't. I I feel like the first impression is uh, a good one. It's a good one to go with. Actually, I still need to review movies. I was doing really good, and uh, I'm behind. Both the films I'm about to talk about haven't reviewed, and Beowulf, which I loved and ranted about on here. No, Jason, I liked Beowulf. Yeah, me too. It was a lot of fun. Christopher Lambert is fun. I don't think Robbie enjoyed it much. He was in it out. That's not true. I I think he did have fun. I don't dude, think it did. All the all the Lambert somersaults. Oh, dude, backflips for days. He was fucking killing it. There, dude. There's so much in that movie. I was looking at my notes that I didn't look at while we were talking. So much I could have talked about in there, but I didn't. And you should watch it. The third act is. It's got a great reveal. Are you done? Is it my turn? It's your turn. All right. I want to briefly. Uh, not talk too much about a movie. I just really wanted to bring this up with Clark. Uh, we watched oh. a film that we were scouting for one of the Uff film festivals, and then they wouldn't get back to us. And then it came out, and we were, we were looking at it tr via trailer, and we're like, yeah, maybe this wasn't for us. It doesn't look like the horror movie. It kind of like presented itself. Um, do you know what I'm talking about, Oksana? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The beautiful title, Flesh Blanket. Now, the reason I want Clark to <laughs> to look at this is not because of the great cover of a fat man covered in legions, where their face is kind of like Freddy in a, a Nightmare on Elm Street 5. But um, yeah, the great tagline, tag he's fat, you're flat. <laughs> that, I mean, dude, it's great. And it's all, it's all the proper punctuation. But now in this movie, there are like eight comics. And they all seem like people that a fan of comedy would know. But not a like a general uh, film fan, and especially not a weird 
horror comedy found footage fan. I don't know any of them. You don't know any of them? They all have that kind of like, yeah, I've been at the the comedy shop for a year now. And like, you know, I got like a 10. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Um, I know who Kato Kalen is. Yeah, yeah. That was, (laughs) and you know what's funny? Nobody else in the room did. So I had to keep saying, that's, (laughs) that's OJ's homie. Yeah, he's pretty famous. He was like, Sonny, you don't know Kato Kalen. Looks a little bit like Gothic King Cobra <laughs> with a wig on. That's why I love what you, Oksana. What is happening? You are insane. But I, I, that, <laughs> look at that jawline. Sonny, you got oh, brand new glasses. Also, and they are doing you a disservice. <laughs> I stare at his horrible face so often. I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize for that. You really do put her through the Again, I, I will tell you. Oh my god, that gif is terrifying. I did all of that. My god. I will tell you, God, there there's a similarity, but I think you are totally wrong. Can you um go back to the He more he more looks like Jonathan Lipnicki. <laughs> Jonathan Lipnicki. Yeah. Can you, you go know to for um, Jerry Maguire? Oh no, I did. I thought you were trying to say little Nicky yeah. and just threw in a Johnny. The guy who plays Titus's little brother. Titus? <laughs> Christopher Titus? Can can you go to the, can you go to the um the photos on IMDb here again? Sorry, Randy, uh, you'll have to check this out on YouTube. <laughs> you have to, oh, none of the comedians are there, dude. But look, they even have a um, play on the last house of the left, <laughs> the last house on the left poster. Oh man, it's like dude, they're really flagging like this is going to be a found footage horror film about a fat dude that lays on people till they die, and I'm like, yep. I want to watch that. You watch it. It's a very jokey faux doc about a guy failing to make a film about a bunch of stand-up comedians. Dude, there's like eight stand-ups in here. Four of them are girls. And it's like, are these people like they do a good job of like, are these no, but I mean like people that people know, like, are are they, do they actually have an audience? And then they do a stand-up and I think they filmed a real stand-up and it looks like it's like in a shut down bar. And they're standing on the floor and it's real awkward, like in a real way. And I was like, fuck, I think Clark would either dig this or fucking hate it. So I I just wanted to bring it up to see if you had any footing there. Crafted as if John Waters, Harmony Kareen, and Eli Roth took a drunken bubble bath together. Well, um, I will say that sounds so good. Whoever wrote that (laughs) nailed the tone of the film. Because that's what the film wants to be, and it fails like that tagline. Yeah. Like, it's like, I'm presenting this, but what you really, what at the end of the product, you get to see through it. And it's like, yeah, that, that's a perfect setup. Because it's like, shut up. You're trying way too hard here, which is what I would say in the movie. But it's... So this sounds like a three-star from Russell Fisher. Well, again... No, you know, because I, I had a lot to say about it. Which means that it's actually on the other end. Two. I th- I, yeah, it might be a two or a two and a half. But unlike a three, I would be really interested in knowing what you like thought about it. Mm. Like as a horror fan, I was just not geared up for this shit. And then when it, and I was like, it's interesting enough, I'll, I'll hang does with it. Does it stay in genre? Yeah, I don't think it breaks. But it does that thing. You know in Fodox? Fodox are cool because like um, what we do in the shadows, you really get away from the handheld. And you can like sit down and just have like characters develop. The problem is when the characters aren't funny and you're doing that kind of like confessional, you just are kind of like, oh, shut up. 
You know what I mean? Like these are falling flat. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, the movie I actually wanted to talk about is a, uh, do you know it, Oksana? It's the reboot. The reboot with a different name. That the Randy reboot. Reason, the Randy reboot. I'm talking <laughs> Wrong Turn 7. Oh, my God. A.K.A. The Foundation. A.K.A. Just Wrong Turn. I'm, I'm not sure <laughs> what. what I, okay. It's just wrong. <laughs> now, if you haven't watched Wrong Turn yet, the 2021, The Foundation, the reboot, um, you probably aren't going to. It's one of those things where it's, if you're a fan of the franchise, you've already jumped on this film. Ask me how many wrong turns I've seen. Probably none. That's how many. Um, Randy, you, name that movie. No Country for Old Men. Uh, there is a little bit of punching down on the South. This, I mean, the Wrong Turn series is about like people driving across America and taking a wrong turn, and then they found they find inbred uh, hillbillies. But again, these inbred hillbillies are made by Stan Winston, the late great. So they look great. Mm-hmm. Um, we got an Elijah Dushku in the first film. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and uh, it's yeah, it's. I mean, um, all right. Off the top of my head, we're gonna go in order, best to worst. I'm gonna go five, two, one. Mm, th- oh, no, I almost said six. And then three. Is that all of them? I think I missed one in there. Let me go over one more time. Four, two, six, five. No, one should be. Okay, I messed it up. That It's pretty clear. If I wrote three, it down. Three, four, five, no, two, three. No, three is the worst. Uh, I just named Seasons of the Wild. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. Correct order. Yeah, see, you can do it. The problem is that this, this franchise gets muddied up at the end. Um, I mean, fuck, at one point, uh, Pinhead shows up. And I'm sorry. D- Doug Bradley's in there. It's As not Pinhead. No, no, no. There's this weird narrative where the films start to have like escaped prison people. So inmates are like out there, and it's like, oh, I'm teaming up with the Six Finger. God, I can't even remember his name. But um, yeah, they get pretty stale in the middle. Then part six, there was a controversy because they had a shot where they had a missing uh, people persons. What are they called? I'm sorry. <laughs> missing a missing. Wait, people don't don't person. tell me. Don't tell me. <laughs> missing the posters where people are gone, but it's not on the milk carton. What the fuck? Are, how do you say that? Missing people. Missing Why? persons missing poster. Per- missing persons report. You said not. No, everybody's saying different. We get there's there's a thing that society has agreed upon that that's the I don't know headshots and they say missing above them. Um. So there's a there's a bulletin board in the town square that has one of those, and one of them was real, and one of the family members of the person who was missing was like, uh, "Excuse me, what the fuck?" And I don't I don't know what the right reaction would be, because technically they're raising awareness, <laughs> but uh, they got mad and they pulled the trigger on a lawsuit and they recalled all the Blu-rays. Uh, yes, I know what you're asking. Whoa. I totally have one. They went on eBay. Very quick. I got it from Best Buy. I think we went down there. Very proud of that. I got that in my collection. Movie, not so great. It opens up with some strong nudity, though, if you're into that. You're talking about the new one? No, I'm talking about part six. Okay. The one before this. (laughs) So on the new one, um, again. Who's got Matthew Modine in it? Who's that? You know. Fucking Private Joker. Private Joker? Oh, from uh, Full Metal Jacket. Oh, good question. I have no idea. 
I dude, I got like face blindness. And which one is he in? He's in the new one. What do you oh, mean? he's in the new one. Yeah. I, I just watched this movie. Like, <laughs> it's news to me. I'm telling you, I have. I am gullible. We went over this last week. He's right here. And when I watch movies, I have to remind myself they're not real. Apparently, I of course think there's a small TV in my wall or there's a window, and I'm just looking outside. Yeah. It's a new adventure. Don't anyway, look through the photos on IMDb because they post like everything, all the goods. It doesn't matter. I'm going to spoil it anyway, lightly. Now, this film, um, Clark, as I mentioned, the previous six installations are all about like urban kids going out and um, learning the perils of inner America, usually towards its belt. And uh, man, this new one, they really amped up how annoying the urban kids were in kind of like a woke way. So they show up at a bar and there's like a confrontation. And, uh, you know, there's some hick. He's got like three teeth and he's insulting him through it. And he's like, y'all never worked a real job a day in your life. And then the little, the cute blonde one's like, he's walking away. And she's like, oh, excuse me. He's a day trader. And this guy over here, he does holistic. And she's like going around the table. It's all the lamest jobs you could pick. And he's like, see what I mean? But it was, it's this really weird thing where they're both lame. And it's like. Are they doing that on purpose or does the director just not know how lame it sounds? Well, I'll tell you, they do another thing. Uh, There's a big uh, departure in this film. The whole idea, and I think it's why they change the name from the foundation, is this group goes on a hike and they get lost kind of up in the hills and then they find a trap and one of their friends gets dragged away Um, and they lose them. So they're looking through the woods and they find another trap and they're like, what the fuck's going on? Then they see their friend being carried away with by two people in like ghillie suits with like uh, fucking deer skulls on their head. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, they're going to go kill this dude. So uh, the the uh, the um, the super annoying, super like white guilt, white guy who's the, the most annoying character. Everybody, it's easy to agree. Not just because the way I look at these films. Matthew Modine. Runs up with a little uh, log and beats the shit out of one of these skull-wearing guys. Nice. And it's like, whoa, okay, the other guy runs away. And it's like, this is weird. Well, I'm going to go ahead and ruin something. Here we go. It turns out that they stumbled into a... Uh, a uh, communist, a communist dictatorship that of people who were the early founders of America, who uh, are hiding out here and doing things their way. Bohemian Grove. So what happens? No, it's way different because initially they're like, "Oh, you're a fucking like clan." Like everything is pointing to like these are some weird Trumpian people who are hiding in the hill, waiting for America to burn down. Then they're going to come back, and right off the bat. The council comes out, like the leader and his two guys, and one of them's black. And it's like, oh, dude, I was like, fuck yeah, what are we doing here? And he's just like, hey, we don't have problems here. We don't care about race. We don't do any of this. We all live together. Hell yeah. Uh, you murdered somebody. And it's like, you're on trial now. And it's like, what are we oh, doing? This is a good move. So it takes a turn. And it's really weird because it's like urban woke versus like a uh, communist like dictatorship. And they're clashing. And I'm like, you know, if we're going to take this brave new turn into uh, modern politics, here, this is pretty interesting. Because they were pretty shitty to the locals. They were doing the thing you hate, which is like just punching down on like, you know, southern people. So how did it fall apart? 
Um, just watch it. I, th- I think I spoiled <laughs> enough. Uh, it's pretty interesting. I mean, it doesn't really get beyond a franchise film, but it's c- a complete departure. Like if you're looking for three rednecks that all have mutations and make them stronger for some reason, yeah, they're not in here. How's my boy, Matthew Modane? I do. Who? <laughs> that guy. I know, I know. Actually. Okay. So it's not really a spoiler because it opens up with it. He's the father of that blonde girl who gets them in that bar confrontation. Uh And uh, the movie opens with him going to look for her because she's been gone. Uh So he goes down to the the little town that they disappeared in. They kill him. And he's looking around. No, it's 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 an interesting story. Like the script is pretty good. Uh, The execution is pretty much a, you know, mid tier horror movie. If you're looking for a horror movie, you'll good time. It's no flesh blanket. Randy could be a three and a half. No, Randy wouldn't like it. <laughs> Randy would get bored, not because of the story, but just because of the tropes. It's it's a prisoner in its own genre. Randy looks like well, someone in, on the film set is drinking a LaCroix. I'm out. <laughs> not a big fan. Really? See, you don't have an addiction to sugar. When you're addicted to sugar and you're really trying to wean off the gold juice, which is any kind of soda, pick your boys, <laughs> mine was Mountain Dew, you got to go to LaCroix. Yeah, I maybe drink a soda a week at most. Yeah, I, I drink a soda at night. I have been drinking more beer lately, though, so Ooh. there you go. How much hair you got in your chest now? I've had a ton Mark. for years. He's a hairy little monster. I know. You gotta, you, you're like full <laughs> bush all over. Yeah, it's. I have to like go to the beach with like a t-shirt on and spad. No one wants to see that. I shaved my back the other day. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't reach all my back hair. Nor can I. I did the best I could. And me, I have no hair. You know, they say... Do you not have any chest hair? A little bit. I got like a little... I shaved my belly hair and it's weird. Are you Kramer? I don't know. I got a a Manscaped thing. Oh, so you're just going nuts now. I'm just going crazy. Is that why you only got one eyebrow? And I got... (laughs) Dude, I got to keep my eyebrows. That's all... My face is just teeth and eyebrows. That's my face. But they're good. And this, you know, love seat I have under my chin. Do you have manicured eyebrows? Have you touched them up? No, but I I try... Dude, they're... Dude. They're a little angry. Let me tell you right now. I'm having to do some eyebrow upkeep because... They're These, building a bridge. They're getting long, dude. <laughs> oh. I, I pulled a long ass eyebrow the other night. Weird. What? What does that? I gotta trim it up. They're a little angry. Now they're angry because you got a little like you got a like sharp edge up here. Yeah, no. Is it? Yeah, it gives you a little is angry. That better. I don't. No I don't. Worse. Nothing happened. What are you doing? <laughs> I made them bush. Can't just rub them away. Oh, but they're much longer now. I oh, should have said that. <laughs> yeah, man. But yeah, no, I shaved my belly hair and it's super weird. How's your belly button smelling? Oh, my belly button is clean. I clean it. How I, deep? I take <laughs> I take a Q-tip. I put alcohol on that Q-tip and I just swab the belly button. Yeah, until you see blood. Right. I do that, that every gets day rid, too. That, get rid, that gets rid of the Rona. And the devil. <laughs> no, it, it does help Dude, with the stomach digestion. Hey, how come in the lookies? Or digestion, not <laughs> stomach digestion, no, no. This has been a question on my mind since the, the last lookies that we mistakenly called part four. It was uh-huh. really part five. Yep. <laughs> but how come uh, Devil All the Time? That didn't. I know. I forgot I, about it. I really liked it too. Number six, Devil All the Time. But no, really, I thought that was going to be. 
like it briefly i thought about it because i love the place beyond the pines and it's really that kind of it narrative does, yeah it does feel that way and i was like ah clark's probably got it devil all the time that's I, a good movie I considered i considered it your lists are always the best they're just against the grain <laughs> You can never tell when a wolf cop's going to pop yeah, up. Yeah, her favorite movie of all time. Wolf Cop 2. <laughs> that okay. was of the year. <laughs> no, it was of the decade. Your favorite movie of the 2010s was Wolf Cop 2. <laughs> yeah, despite a like not fun um, screening we had. We had an awkward screening with oh, somebody well, who wanted to hang out. After the screening sucked. During the screening. Eh, it was still kind of sucky. It's one of those things where, you know, you it, it was at the Little Roxy. And they got like airline seating. So when you when you go down an aisle, you have to come back out that one direction. Yes. And of course, Good band. we're hanging out with somebody the first time. And this little girl, you know, the planet revolves around her. So she sat down. This little girl? Had, what are you, Woody Allen? Had to go to the best. He did uh, recommend. But uh, yeah, we were going to adopt her. <laughs> we're hey, like, Woody <laughs> Allen called. He wants his identity back. Dude. <laughs> I can't believe I pulled that to use on Randy and it only came up one time ever against me. Good job. <laughs> but yeah, dude, she got up like three times during the movie to the bathroom. And I was like, this is a fucking little Roxy. You can't do this. Like, you know, she was probably going to call her. No, no, no slant. I'm going to cut your mic. What, what is this? I know. Personal vendetta y'all are going on. No, it was just, it was a weird night. Well, I mean, you're taking a little girl to go see <laughs> Wolf Cop 2. I don't know what else well, you want. We had to vet her before we took her trick-or-treating. And it was like, if you're going to be our daughter, <laughs> you got to have a good sense of humor. how the adoption process works out? <laughs> if you want these Reese's. Yeah. Um, yeah, what the hell are we? Yeah, but Devil All the Time. I don't know why. That was in my head. And I'm like, I thought you really liked that movie. It's great. I just, yeah. That, dude, it was a good year. Is that out on Blu-ray? I'm going to buy that. I want to buy that. Uh, it was a Netflix, so Wolf you probably Cop? need to get it through oh. Tuna Town. Maybe I did. Yeah. Did we get it Stinky Tuna? Shout no, out Stinky I think, Tuna. I think it came out after. You know, I want to book that guy. But you want to talk to that guy? I stinky Tuna? Yeah. What's he going to talk about? <laughs> I don't know. Salmon? Selling <laughs> <laughs> selling uh, Netflix movies and getting away with it? All right. Right? Can he sponsor the show? I know, right? Like, to toss us a couple bucks. Brandy, have you done the, the stinky tune? I haven't yet, no. There is stuff that I want, though. Yeah, it's weird. Like, the digital age, you would think Netflix would just put them out. Like, there's there's an audience. Did they not ever? No. They don't put out any I of their original. No. Or, like, TV series. Did, did they? I'm pretty yeah. sure. Back in the day, they did. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe back in the day, but now they don't. Yeah, now. Uh, who knows now, man? Best Buys are no more. They don't have a search. Wait, they're not? Well, not the one in, near us. Oh, you go the crap one though. The one over on um, um, I want to call it Metreon. It's not Metro Center. That one's still there. In Colma. Yeah, the one right next to where they dumped all of the uh, what was that? Oh, the Shiner. No, not the Shriners. The Shriners. There was a uh, I want to call him a cult, but I don't want to be rude. Yeah, there. So there was a documentary about all the graves that were moved out of San Francisco when they learned that it was going to be good real estate. Uh -huh. And they gave everybody the option of like, hey, we're going to demolish your mausoleum. If you pay, you can have your body taken out and relocated. Tacoma, near where I grew up, you know, the, the cemetery of San Francisco. And I think it was either the Shriners or like it was one of those kind of groups. 
they had a mass, uh, they, they had their own cemetery and they said, we're bulldozing it. And they said, we don't care. And it's like, dude, this is a group that you had to pay dues to get in, pay to help build the damn, uh, yeah, that's it. A second final resting place is the name of it. What was one of the, um, what was one of the, uh, cemeteries? Yeah, I don't know. It was one of those groups. And, um, they said, we don't want to deal with it. So they dug them all up and they put them in a mass grave. There's one marker right next to that Best Buy. It kind of looks like a, um, not a, not a monolith, but it's like a needle. Like what would they call it? Like a, not a pylon, not a fucking football. Yeah, but they relocated them there and it's like there's like 200 people buried under that thing because they didn't want to deal with it. That's terrible. Yeah, and it's weird because you can see it from Best Buy. Like there's nothing there except Rolling Hills a Cemetery and that. Randy, if you were buried in a mass grave, would that bother you? Uh, No. I thought thought he was going to say yeah. He's like, I want to be cremated. I mean, I do, but you know, I have no issues with the other. He's like, I want to be cremated and put on the rim of a margarita. <laughs> or in a tattoo. What would you rather do, a rim of a margarita or a tattoo? Uh, oh, let's go margarita. Margarita. <laughs> I'm, you know what? I don't know if our audience knows this. Randy's got many a fangirl out there. He just hides from them. That's why he never leaves his house. And I am sure there are a couple of women who would... uh. Drink that margarita. Oh, yeah. If you die, Randy, we will do that on the show. That be <laughs> cannibalism? Oh, Army. Let's contact him. Let's see where he stands <laughs> on it. We'll tell Creepy next week. Randy, take that shaken and stirred, baby. <laughs> now, I see you looking at the maps. Did you ever figure out who it was? I don't think it was the Shriners. It doesn't matter. Well, I thought you had looked it up. We'll find the Odd out. Fellows. That's, there it was. It was the Odd Fellows. Okay. Yeah. I was about to leave a cliffhanger for next no. week. No. <laughs> Mystery solved. All right, let's throw it to the interview we had uh, with Jillian. A fantastic interview. Randy, what'd you think of this interview? It's great. It's a lot of fun. Hard to hear first. I came in. I tried to uh, make a joke early on. It doesn't work. Yeah. I started cutting myself under the table. (laughs) (laughs) She's much cooler. She knows a lot more than I, I do like about our film. interviews. Have to start at a rough start. Oh yeah, it's like, like us. It's <laughs> our journey begins after the plane wrecks. Yes, and then we get out, and it's a we are on a sojourn together. Oh, also, quick, did you hear about the plane that had the jet fall off of it? What? No. Yeah, there's video. People were taking it. it the jet fucking fell off of the wing. All right, and then pull, they landed safely. Pull this up very quickly. <laughs> Dude, I'm not joking. Because it's my nightmare. And I always talk about this on the show. People on the plane. This is you crazy people that like With flying. The jet, so, so the engine fell off the wing. But, and, but a plane can run on one engine. I know. And my mom's told me that many a time. Now, here's the thing. Like in Donnie Darko, That's that it? engine is going to fall. And yes, it landed in somebody's house. And I believe it rolled down a street. Yeah. It's fucking terrifying. Look, okay, oh, if you're on YouTube, you can see it. God. It happened a couple days ago, but the first thing I thought was, what? Because they were kind of, it came up and it's like, oh, people were taking videos of it. They opened up their window and they're filming it. And I'm like, I would be dying. I'd be crying in my chair. And then there was a dude who's like watching, you know, TV in his front room and he hears a bang and it's like, oh, yeah. Can I? An engine fell out of the goddamn sky. Can I tell you, you know, outside we have our deck. 
A uh-huh. very nice deck, and I try to go out there as much as I can, weather permit. Six o'clock every One day. One of my favorite things that I enjoy doing is sitting in that lounge <laughs> chair on the deck and just enjoying the day. But it's hard for me to do that. It's hard for me to relax because I'm always looking at the sky to make sure nothing's going to follow me. This is a this I fight this every day of my life. I think whether it's going to be a strange object out of the sky because Elon Musk keeps fucking around up there. Mm-hmm. Lord knows what's going to rain on us. In part two, because of the story I told on this very show about uh, a I will remain this girl will remain nameless, but she had to transfer <laughs> schools out of the fourth grade because a bird shadowed her. So I always think about bird poop. Now, you know why? Why? The punchline is Chicken Little. Enjoy, Jillian. (laughs) We'll see you next week. All right, I got a question for Randy. Hey, Randy, uh, can you tell how nervous Clark is right now? (laughs) I can't. No, it sounds natural. Yeah, thank you very he, much. He thought I was going to come in here and call her Gillian. Uh, because you have <laughs> the entire time. Hi, Clark's Gillian. A, Clark's professional, dude. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you didn't butcher it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you didn't hang up. That, what I was trying to get at is we're huge fans of your film. And, uh, man, I've gotten in some heat. Because now I've opened up a ton of conversation online about how I think your film is... Uh, a hundred times better than promising young woman. Uh-huh. And people do not enjoy that. <laughs> and I'm not sure why, because most of them haven't even seen your film, but I think my letterbox quote was just, I blame society greater than promising young woman. I don't know. Have you seen the film, Jillian? I have. I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to wade <laughs> into it. Um, but I think that, you know, they're very different. You know, we're coming from very different budget levels. We're trying to appeal to, to very different audiences. I do appreciate your your passion, though. And I think that um, <laughs> it would be great if people would see both movies before they weighed in. But I think what Russell's trying to articulate is that we're, we're coming from the side of, you know, horror and genre. And mm-hmm. Promising Young Woman was, was sort of marketed towards that audience. And then the delivery of, of said um, marketing didn't didn't really put up to what we the trailer had maybe suspected in, in that uh, your film um, also I may say in, in terms of the, the characters aren't as one note especially maybe with the men characters so we 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 felt like we were more satisfied with your film overall. I'm glad to hear that. Um, <laughs> Coming from the, the found footage uh, horror uh, side of things. Well, Which well, is where yeah. we butter our bread on this show. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think, I think, you know, Promising Young Woman is, is a much more, is a much more earnest film. I, I'm glad that it's opened up a, a lot of discussion and hopefully more films can be made uh, around that topic. Um, you know, I think if anything, even if you don't enjoy the film or felt disappointed by it, I, I think that we can be grateful that it, its success opens the door to other films that that may be less hesitant to engage in, in some of the questions that that promising young woman eventually stepped away from. 
man, Clark, you made that a beautiful argument. Uh, totally not the one I was making, though. <laughs> and I appreciate you for that. I think, you know, my, my, um, uh, oh, shit, where I'm coming from with Promising Young Woman is just the way that it opened. Yeah. Where please, we, please feel free to dig yourself out of I, this uh, hole. No, no, I'm going to dig, thing. I'm digging deeper. It's oh, fine. Sure. Uh, you make us look good. I'm counting on you to, you know, retract this later. My back's going to give out at one point. <laughs> promising young woman. It opens up with the dialogue at uh, two men are having at a bar. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was watching the film, I'm like, man, I've never been in this environment ever. And I've been in a lot of bars, but like, I just couldn't relate to it in any way. And I mean, the, the movie, it's very clear where it's coming from. And then we watched I Blame Society, and your film did what I think Get Out did for a lot of uh, people, where I heard your boyfriend in the movie say things, and I, I had this inner dialogue where I'm like, oh my God, have I ever sounded like that? Like, And it, in a way, it made me want to be more aware of the situation and just be like, man, this dude sounds fucking condescending, but I believe that he is happy to be in this relationship and he, he loves her, but Oh man, we can sound fucking dumb. And then, you know, you turn around, there's humor and it's a horror movie. And I came out not only enjoying it, but I felt like I kind of learned something from it. Oh, that's really, that's really awesome to hear. Yeah. I, I wanted not to, I wanted to make the character of Keith, not too much of a caricature, but also to, to, you know, to keep him at the same tone as, as a lot of the other characters. So he needed to have um, a little bit of broadness and a little bit of humor. Um, you know, as much as he is uh, kind of the straight man in the movie, but it's no fun to, to have, it's, it's no fun for somebody to be like the pill in the movie. Like there's a difference between like being the straight man, kind of like Cary Grant is the straight man in a lot of things, but he's still funny. Um, and it, you know, also Keith was our only actor that came out from New York to do the film. So we couldn't really just come out and have him there and give him the worst part in the movie. He had to, he had to have layers as well, you know? Now, did he bring that shirt with him? No, no, we designed that. That was written in the script. (laughs) Uh, We got such a kick out of that shirt. Like I, who, who called it? Was it Randy? Randy. Yeah, that was me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's my favorite joke in the movie. Oh, <laughs> who designed it? I mean, I came up with the joke and then our costume designer made it. Nice. Dang, that's fucking cool. Now, oh, man, that shirt is a perfect introduction into like context of in-world camera films. And I before I start talking about like your monologue in a mirror and filming people watching a film in the process of being edited. I'm curious what what made you want to make a found footage film with like I mean the the subgenre still gets a lot of flack. There's still a real stigma from the horror community. Yet you kind of leaned into it in the exact way we want. I didn't think that I was going to make a found footage movie. I never really intended for that as my first film. It was it was more like it was a practical thing because um you know, the, there's a lot of, there's a lot of true things in the film. And one of the true things is that I did 
try to make a short documentary about a compliment that I received that I would make a good murder. And so the sections of the film that they watch on the laptop are uh, excerpts from that short documentary that I didn't finish. And so if I wanted to include the parts from the short documentary, um, then I knew that I would have to continue and uh, all playing myself, which was, you know, a hurdle and, and a big commitment to undertake. And then, you know, wanting to continue it in that, in that format would mean also making it a found footage movie and really sticking to that. And, and I felt like I wanted to make one that didn't cheat. I really hate when found footage movies cheat. And I, I don't know if you saw, I wrote a piece in Movie Maker about um, the four things that uh, that found footage horror movies need to do in order not to cheat. And, and I was very passionate about this, sometimes to the dismay of my producers about, you know, because it would create technical hardships for us. There's a reason why, why people cheat. It makes your life easier, but it makes the movie less authentic and less spooky and the audience can tell and they hate you for it. Are you, are you a fan of the genre? I like when it's done well. I, <laughs> I, but, but it's not like I, it's not like I seek out movies in particular for that, but it doesn't turn me off or anything. Or I, I would never be like, Oh, I wanted to watch it. But I, now that I see it's that I, I won't, I would say I'm totally neutral. That's a good spot to be in. I, we, we talk a lot of horror movies on here, and over the years we've been doing the show, I've come to realize that found footage isn't even really a, it's not really for horror fans. It's really for more film fans. And when we're watching an unpolished found footage movie, the thing I love about them is it's so revealing about the filmmaker, because oftentimes they're the star, they're the director, the writer, and the editor. And you really get a good sense of who that person is. And I, I think you really captured that in your film. There's a lot of, like now knowing that that documentary was real, I, I uh, won't put you on the spot and ask who the hell the cameraman was. Because right off the bat, when I rewatched it again, I'm like, oh, this camera's like zooming and panning in that first interview. And I'm like, I don't think that ever gets explained. And that would be like an interesting twist if, there was like an off-camera helper, but it's clear that that's not the case in your film. Right. So the sections where she is kind of interviewing other people in a more um, in a more formal setup, those are supposed to be the sections from that other film that she had previously put down three years ago, with and where Olivia is shooting it. And so at the beginning, you remember in the first scene, she talks to Olivia behind the camera oh. and. And Olivia has that line where she says, do you want to cut? So those those sections do have a camera person. And they're actually shot on a different, slightly different camera. So if you have like a an eye for those kinds of things, you can see the difference between the footage that's shot on a Canon 5D is operated by somebody. The footage that is shot by on a, a Sony A7S is supposed to be shot by Jillian herself. So those don't have any movement until the existence of the dolly and they don't have any zooms or anything like that. They're all locked down. You know, my, my favorite thing is just making fun of like studio filmmaking and you do it so seamlessly and beautifully in this film. And when you have that little dolly shot on the crank, that is like one of the best 
pokes at dramatic documentary filmmaking <laughs> I think I've ever seen. It was so good. Like, did you actually build a hand crank dolly? That all credit to Olivia, the director of photography for that. She built that dolly and she would assemble it and deassemble it every time that we used it. And it, so it was just, it also provided this funny layer of subtext of knowing that whatever Jillian like had gone on a date or whatever, she had brought like two big <laughs> chunks of plywood with her and a wheelchair. And, you know, during some time, like this guy poured her a glass of wine. She was like, cool, hold on. I'm just going to put this together. And, you know, like had done that during the date and was like, great, I'm set. <laughs> yeah, I really like that approach. I, I really, in to bring it back to Promising Young Woman, I wanted to see more like ownership of like female power. And I felt like there was a lot of victimhood in that movie. And I don't know, it it wasn't what I was looking for. And when in your film, I see you picking up a homeless person and then uh, asking them if they'd like to sleep with you and then offer them a sandwich on top of it. It's like, this is what I wanted. It's a hell of a B&B. I know. <laughs> I know. And you've already set up the whole like, me and, wait, now the film is out already, right? I don't want to yes. like spoil too much. Okay. Like that brief interaction with your boyfriend where she's like, I want to make a um, sex movie that I want to watch and I don't want your penis in it. Man, that's what I fucking wanted. And I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm so in love with your film. And oh, thank I, you. Yeah. God, it's incredibly personal, too. Like you really let that camera like wash over you in multiple angles. Like, yeah, and especially that you're you've written this movie where you're playing a character named Jillian and yeah. you are Jillian. So what are the struggles of, of having to write yourself as a character? It's some things are easy, you know, being able to draw on personal material. Some things were more difficult and that's where it was really helpful to have a co-writer like Chase Williamson. He actually would allow me to see myself in ways that I felt uncomfortable putting myself out there. Like he was the first person he, he was between the two of us. He was the first one to write kind of a, a, a love scene with my character. And I was really appreciative of that because I, I was worried that it would be too narcissistic <laughs> if I wrote anything like that first, kind of my major fear in the film was um, to be like Zach Braff in garden state. I didn't want to everybody to feel like I had, made this movie just for the purpose of having um, somebody good looking to like, you know, get it on with me on camera. I felt, I felt guilty about that a lot of the time. So it felt really good when Chase would write those parts. So, so I was like, Oh yeah, he wrote that, you know, so it wasn't like I I'm totally desperate. It was Chase's idea. You know, I, I like how you went garden state normally on the show when we're trying to articulate that we go Brown bunny <laughs> or maybe that's just me. <laughs> but see, I think the difference is, is that um, like Vincent Gallo and Chloe Sevigny, they're both kind of in the same realm of attractiveness in the kind oh. of, you know, I mean, I mean, he was a, he, Vincent Gallo was a model, you know, he was a, he was a model for Gucci. Like you can't man. argue that he's a, yeah, he's a good looking dude. Zach Braff, I'm sure, has many virtues, and apparently he's, <laughs> he's irresistible to women. He's dating Florence Pugh. He has nothing to – he shouldn't give a shit about what I say ever. But he's got money. He, he definitely <laughs> was punching above his weight with Natalie Portman, and that is just a fucking fact. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I wasn't even thinking of, like, uh, 
who's good looking and who isn't and kind of like that levying power. I was more. Well, Jay, spoiler alert. You're talking to the other side of the table where we're constantly punching above our weight. So that's just <laughs> that's just a given thing. But I, I think I whenever I was making jokes like that, I was mostly articulating the narcissism of filmmaking. And when you step into yeah. all those roles and then cast a role counter to you. And yeah, it's it's funny that I don't know. That was something you were worried Cause I, about. Because I highly doubt someone co-wrote that scene <laughs> of Brown Bunny with Vincent Gallo. I I don't know, but probably not. No. Yeah. But I I if you're talking about the last scene of Brown Bunny, I really do love that scene, and I think it's really heartbreaking. <laughs> Clark's only seen the scene we're talking that about. That is so. not true. <laughs> I made it through the whole movie. Thank you very much. Yeah, but I mean, like found footage. The whole fun is, you know, in a Hollywood film, we're creating like a new reality. But in found footage, it's. Like the camera is in world. And that's why I, you know, I get flack for bringing up in world camera all the time. It's like the craft is part of the story. And uh, no offense, Jillian, uh, but when we were watching that documentary, the one you had made originally, I thought you were actually playing that up because the music was kind of like uninspired while we were watching the traditional documentary where, you know, we're juxtaposed against you in a mirror talking about doing a makeover and you know we're, we're dealing with film themes like duality of mirrors yet you you're on camera and then you have like a silence of the lamb bit where you're putting something on your face and the music is like interesting and hip and i almost thought you're making like a uh, shot at like stale documentary filmmaking well you know <laughs> it was the the music that we got for for that part of the documentary that is like um we licensed that from music that is is supposed to be for sound libraries but actually in originally when i had like made a temp track of that um for for the old old version i'd used more more exciting music um so i i'd used um it was a score from a pretty obscure Ennio Morricone movie, oh. one of Elio Petri's movies. I think it was it was either it was probably a mix of Good News and um, then there's this other one. I don't know. There's not that many Ennio Morricone Elio Petri scores. It was an investigation of a citizen under suspicion because because Adam Curtis already stole that and made me angry. Um, <laughs> it's just a. Uh, yeah, if I want to go on a tangent, it bugs me that Adam Curtis acts like he discovered all of these fantastic scores from movies, and and people are just like, oh yeah, that music from The Power of Nightmares. I'm like, no, that music from Investigation of a Citizen Under Above Suspicion, that music from Matter of Life and Death, it's not his music. All right, end of tangent. <laughs> um, uh, and the music that from the makeover sequence is. Um, from really cool uh, Canadian producer, Young Gov, and uh, this artist that he worked with. I um, can't remember her name off the top of my head, but it's, it, I, I can see what you're saying about, um, it, it was not really supposed to be a, a dig at boring documentary music. I think if I had done that, I would have picked something that was kind of more uh, fake Philip Glass. I, I would have. That's where I would have went, but, but I see what you're saying. 
Now, talk to me about Adam Curtis. I was trying to IMDb him while you were talking so I could pretend like I knew, but I am not familiar with this filmmaker. I don't really watch him either because it, you know, I used to work in this video store, um, Kim's Video in New York, and they had put on that very famous um, Power of Nightmares film that he had done. And I just, again, like got really uh, be in my bonnet about him using this music. And of course, it's one of those things where it's like, well, what do you want, Jillian? You want him to like run, a, you know, a, a lower third throughout the whole thing of like this music isn't from my fucking movie. But it's <laughs> it's I, I, I don't. But I also can understand there's something about, you know, the films that he makes and, you know, uh, maybe he's trying to make a point about cultural appropriation as, as well. But uh i don't know it's just it's i have sometimes you have those things which make no sense and then eventually you grow up and get over it when i was younger i hated kristen dunst and now i love her you know it's just like you grow you you grow out of these things i haven't grown out of this one yet when sorry did, when, did, when did kristen Dunst make the turn for you i i Marie i don't know Antoinette, uh was it the turning japanese video she did I didn't know she did that. Did oh my that. God. If we had a video component, I would pull that up. Please uh, YouTube it later. Um, if you, uh, so I'm a oh, pop melancholia. fan. She was very good. I, I'm a fan of pop music. And Talk uh, about. Uh, one of my favorites is Avril Lavigne. And she like got briefly canceled for doing her Hello Kitty. Yeah. Video. I've seen that. I'll tell you, Kirsten Dunst did a much, uh, <laughs> much more questionable one that you can totally find on YouTube. Oh boy. I'm going to plug that for everybody. So is it like a, a a cover of the old song? I think I'm turning Japanese. Oh, yeah. And she looks uh, under the influence of something the whole time. Well. this song about masturbation? I think the band has denied that. I it's popular. I know. <laughs> the audience really owns the art after it's put out there. <laughs> <That is> true. <laughs> so, yeah. But safe to, is safe it to say like now I I am one of those people who's such a big fan of her that I I would watch a movie of hers just for her being in it. You know I was probably jealous. I think I was probably jealous. She was just really cool and had a, a you know super successful great life at such a young age. I probably like looked at her at you know sixteen like living in the suburbs and was like fuck her. She has a perfect life and and held it <laughs> against her. You know. But see, look at you now. You got past that bullshit. You're growing as a person, Jillian. I know. Now I have other inexplicable vendettas, and I'm, I'm working <laughs> through them, too. Like Adam Curtis. Adam Curtis, I I have it. It's, it's explicable, but I'm working through it. <laughs> it just takes some time. He, uh, from his filmography, he looks like not a fun dude. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I wonder. I don't know. I think um, or can a British intellectual be a fun guy? No. I don't know. <laughs> no. Definitely not. They probably cool. proved me on. There probably is like some, you know, Christopher Hitchens, like wears lampshades on his head at parties. <laughs> like I, I probably, I'm probably totally wrong. They're probably the funnest. I, that's where I'm wrong. So Jillian, in the film, um, your history as a filmmaker, you, you made uh, sort of alluded to these highly sexualized uh, short films 
And so then I naturally, as a uh, investigative journalist uh, from the <laughs> University of Southern Mississippi, I go to your IMDb and, and look up all of your previous work. And I'm thumbing through and I see, um, you know, the old man, Peter Bogdanovich, remembers John Ford, which don't get me wrong. Sign me <laughs> up for that. I love a bandana. Um, but, it, you know, what was it about in the film making? Um, I mean, a have you done that work that you alluded to in in the film? Yeah, or? yeah. I I did two short films. Um, those so I have a background directing narrative shorts and also documentary shorts. Um, I've done many more documentary shorts because I've been paid to do those by wonderful companies, um, and they end up on. Blu-rays for classic films, and I'm very, I'm very grateful for those jobs to keep the lights on. But That's I made um, two short films that both of them played at South by Southwest. Uh, one of them won the prize in the Midnight Shorts category, the jury prize there, and those were both films that were uh, absurdist dark comedies that were kind of strange dark fairy tales about orifices basically <laughs> see and here i thought you were almost like paying homage to like ginger snaps where you know it's like the female filmmaker is good for uh being a film female filmmaker and making dark artsy broody drama because they can't deal with their emotions properly or something no no i was definitely um, you know, opening a vein and, uh, and talking about my, my own feelings and my own, uh, the own, you know, the things that have been thrown at me as, you know, a woman who puts sex in her films, it's, there's a lot of discomfort that comes with it that I don't think that guys who have made films with sexual subject matter have to deal with as much. I don't know. I'd love maybe, David Cronenberg after crash also got a lot of strange <laughs> comments, but it was kind of, you know, I'd, I'd make these, these shorts, you know, which were artistic expressions and, you know, films that I wanted to make and not invitations to have conversations about sex with strangers and thoughts that they've had about um, movies that they would like to make about sex based on their own personal experiences. But like people would come up to me, mostly men who would just kind of just start telling telling me these like very graphic ideas that they had which you know are on the level of fantasies in some way and i don't know i mean i understand you know we're we're all colleagues you know it, it free exchange of ideas i respect that i think that there was something a little prurient as well in the sense that they were also testing me and seeing if it how I would react to them telling me these ideas and enjoying if it would make me uncomfortable or not, or seeing if I was cool enough to to lay down with their like cool idea about like a dick that comes alive and whatever, you know? <laughs> God, it's fucking embarrassing. <laughs> Yeah, we're not the best. I know. I apologize on behalf of all men. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where I think I, I love seeing, you know, like pervy movies. And um, but, it, you know, it, it's that's that's one thing. Like, it's your choice to be like, I would like to rent. I mean, I haven't seen it, but like 
killer condom. I would, you know, it's your choice to rent that or it's your choice to, to rent necromantic. And I did, you know, I saw it, I sat through the whole thing. Um, but I, it's, it's a little bit different when, you know, somebody like, uh, pulls you aside at a festival and they're like, really liked your movie. Like I had this idea once, you know, like it's based on, you know, uh, how I ejaculate every time I see green, you know, just like your movie, can I? You know, I thought you'd dig it. You know, kind of. It's. it's well, I'm red. Yeah. I'm red, green, colorblind. I, so I think uh, you're missing out, dude. I'd be, <laughs> who the fuck? Blue purple balls. Who thinks that's okay though? Like it even, makes me think of that uh, Muppet song. It isn't easy being green. That's yeah. that would be like the background <laughs> that they should use for the movie. <laughs> but really, who the fuck? Who's grown up in like a I don't know any kind of culture thinks that it's okay to come up to somebody you don't know. I think they think I'm a dirty girl and they want to, you know, and maybe I, maybe I like to fuck and I'd like to fuck them. And they just kind of want to see what, see what would happen. And they just don't really care because obviously I made a movie about sex. So I must be a complete degenerate and not have feelings, you know? But the movie's all about it being on your terms too. They didn't get that part. Yeah. But how, how do you miss that? (laughs) I mean, you're like starring, editing, you're making the movie, you're controlling the world. If if there's any critique I could give uh, our fictional Jillian is that she's got to be in charge. And it's like to watch that movie and come out with like, hey, girl, you know, I'd come every time I see green. It's like, what the fuck? What are you watching? Like. That's a hypothetical example, by the way, but okay. like, it, but, you know, it's just, but it is interesting, you know, um, we had this review of, of I Blame Society that came out where the, you know, it was written by uh, an older gentleman and he said that watching the film felt him, made him dirty. You know, he felt oh dirty God. after watching it. He wanted to take a shower and, you know, I think it's one of those things where people, you know, criticism is a lot of projection. You know, uh, we're all bringing everything that we've lived to the moment where we watch that movie. And there's, as a filmmaker, there's very little that you can do about that. Yeah. Damn. So, all right. I, you've mentioned how the film is incredibly personal and uh, we're using a lot of real life in there. Now, one, one of the moments I thought was the most just like hard to watch. And again, something I've never experienced, but it just felt like, oh man, I was cringing. And I'm talking about when you're having a production meeting with the two Mm -hmm. dudes and, you know, they start off saying you look like you're from New York because you smoke a lot or you look sickly. And then just talking about like how we can use a woman filmmaker. And it's like, because you check all these boxes and it was so derogatory and it it just felt like too authentic, and I'm hoping that isn't coming from real experience with you. Of course it is. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, I fucking hate it. And you know, the horror community they do it all the time. Like they'll be like, you know, we need more female uh, filmmakers, and we need to propel them. And it's like, I'm like, dude, do you realize like you're missing the the art here and the work, and you're just making it a gender thing? And it's not. It's like, um. What is that? What is that phrase? Uh, the soft bigotry of low expectation. Sure. Yeah. It's tattooed on my back. I know. <laughs> but it's shitty. And it's like, just because you think you're doing the right thing, it doesn't make it right. And like, I don't, I don't know. I thought it was, uh, it was really rough. I was having a hard time with those. 
And then, you know, the beautiful thing is you're doing an in-world camera film. And when you add that element to the conversation, watching the change in tone, I'm like, this is why I like found footage. Because she's like, hey, do you mind if I film it? And the camera moves up. Yeah. And instantly, without any exposition, we know that uh, you've been filming without them knowing. You've semi-hid the camera. They may have seen it, but they didn't know it was on. And all this is translated in like a camera movement that, you know, later on in the film you're making fun of with the hand crank. But it's, I don't know, I, I'm getting lost here because I'm, I'm flustered in that terrible experience. I don't know, have you ever tried to tape one of those interactions? <laughs> oh, no. But um, I think one of the worst ones that I ever had and one of the ones that I leaned on very heavily for, for those scenes, I actually had a witness of um, one of the producers from this film. She was in that meeting. So it wasn't even like one of those things where I could be like, uh, I don't know. I guess maybe I'm being sensitive, but that was strange. But she just, I don't, she was way more uh, surprised and disgusted even than I was by that meeting. So I knew that I had to kind of really pull heavily on that. And that is, that was at a production company that does a lot of genre. So we pulled, we pulled hard on that one. Now, was this, was this fairly recent or uh, do we yeah, feel like we, we've gotten better? <laughs> No, no. It was after Me Too. <sighs> me Three sounds like. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, a, a lot of my, I think a, a lot of the point of the film is, you know, to to point out that, you know, Me Too was a a major media moment, but not a moment that has changed much of anything for women in practice. And it's not like, you know, uh, me complaining or, or being bitter and having an opinion and just saying like, oh, you know, not enough good things have been handed to me since Me Too. It's like statistically, the needle has not moved on employment for for female directors since Me Too. In fact, it's gotten worse. I don't know. What do you do with that? I, I feel like you just got to call people. You make up. a really angry movie is what you do <laughs> You really shoot yourself in the foot. You make a movie about um, how people won't give you jobs and invite people to question whether it's because you're not talented or, or not. Uh, you do something really ridiculous and counterintuitive like that and then ask people to give you a, a bigger budget next time. You act like a maniac. That's what you do. Oh, man. You know, so last week we had, we had our buddy on. He's a, a filmmaker from the East Bay. And uh, Robbie, when we were hanging out, we these kind of conversations would come up and he and we were trying to talk about like why is it always the people who act like they're trying to do the most for like you know um uh, feminism or just like women's movement or anything could be gender related um sexuality related but he's it's like why is it always like those are the dudes that feel like there's no authenticity there and he was like well think about it it's always the tweaker who stole your camera that's willing to help you look for it <laughs> yeah and I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> also provides a little bit of history about uh, Robbie's past. I know, right? <laughs> and I love Robbie, but I'm like, <laughs> I always feel like it's the people who are like, hey, we're here. We're, we're here for the cause and we're giving you a platform. This is a great opportunity for you. It's like, dude, you're condescending and I don't even believe you. Like, I just don't buy it. I don't know. Your film really, it, it affected me in a way that I just didn't get from Promising Young Woman. <laughs> Also, you know, your, it's your comedy hit a lot harder too. Sorry to oh, thank you. you. Just, yeah, no, thank you. Um, I, 
I think that personally, and I don't know whether this is a, a stupid thing to say, but I'm being honest, I would rather take a meeting with um, a guy who says something misogynist, but in the context of a greater informed and intelligent opinion, but one where I thought that given greater engagement, given greater personal experience, the misogyny of his opinion could change rather than somebody who just mouths a lot of allyship platitudes. I would rather take the interview with the, I mean, not the interview, I'd rather take the 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 meeting with the misogynist because I would feel like I was having a more transparent discussion with that person and a more transparent engagement. Whereas a meeting with an ally is, is fraught, is fraught with worries of, uh, yeah, you know, like you're saying with the tweaker, you know, skeletons in the closet, you know, what is this smile hiding, you know? Yeah. Damn. And plus, you know, when you, when you're in a room with the dude who's clearly not hiding his like, I don't know, uh, unfavorable ideas, you know who they are and you know what distance to keep them at. Yeah. And it's like the smiley one with the knife behind their back that I do. I am the most gullible motherfucker on this planet. And if you listen to this podcast, there's so many times where I'm like, wait, really? And it happens every time. Those motherfuckers, they can take advantage of me. Sounds like a beautiful story that uh, Bunny (laughs) Colvin told in season four of The Wire. Okay. About a racist man who owns a company. Maybe the solution is is that I I actually like thinking about it, kind of like living it out in my head right now. I shouldn't take the meeting with the misogynist. I shouldn't take the meeting with the ally. I should take the meeting with the guy who, um, you know, just wants to talk and doesn't have a stupid opinion about women, and also doesn't want to fill the air with uh, bullshit so that he'll feel relevant. There's probably a guy who doesn't fall into either of those two categories. So I'll, I'll take the meeting with that person. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it was really refreshing having a um, female helmed uh, found footage horror movie only because the genre, it, it just, it gravitates towards voyeurism and mm-hmm. uh, the, what, what the hell is that term that kept getting thrown around when uh, revenge was popular? The female gaze is a thing that we don't get a lot in found footage. And I'm trying to think right now, I can't even think of another one where it's directed, edited, written, starring. Can you? I can't. I'm probably going to get shit for that later. But it was really refreshing because, you know, with voyeurism, you tend to get, you know, um, moral men. We're looking through an electric eye that is kind of like, you know. Um, surrogate for them and a lot of the time they're peeking through windows and stuff and it's kind of it's very revealing and I, having a female helmet it was it was something I don't think I've seen before you know what I'm gonna have to pull up a list well it's interesting I mean um, the kind of psychological or cinema studies term that they use for voyeurism is scopophilia which is liking to look and I, I think that people feel um, psychologically that women aren't as as turned on by looking 
um, they aren't as engaged with the eye. And maybe that's why women are undervalued as visual artists or whatever. And they think, oh, they're more verbal. You know, women like to be, um, you know, said nice things like, you know, you know, you're in bed with a woman you know, rather than uh, you should tell her that she looks pretty, you know, like they want to hear something like that. Um, I think that there is this um, distance that, that people think of between we, between women and looking. And it's not true. It's um, I, I am certainly a, always have been a more verbal person than a visual person. And, and even in terms of filmmaking, I come to film from a, a writing background rather than a visual background. But obviously I love film. Uh, there were, has been parts of my life where I watched three movies a day and, you know, I watched it, you know, with, with my ears and eyes. And I think there is a pleasure. That's part of the pleasure of film is to just kind of disembody yourself and to become this, this eye that takes in whatever the filmmaker gives you. Yeah. It is a very different uh, approach, and I, I've thought of two while you were talking. Have you seen The Midnight Swim? Yeah, yeah, Sarah Dina Smith. Yeah, I didn't realize that was a found footage movie. It's yeah. been a long time since I saw it. Now, it's it's all in-world camera. At the very end, there's kind of a departure from reality, but um, it's earned, and I would say they don't break any of the rules. Actually, I'd be interested to see how it stacks up against your, your uh, list. I made a note of that. I'm going to check it later. Also, well, Sarah is very smart. She went to Columbia. I'm sure she she can figure <laughs> this out. Now, not a state school. <laughs> now, the other film I thought of, which is much less seen, was My Friend the Polish Girl. Oh, I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, check that one out. I we tried to book them for our film fest, and I think I can't remember why it didn't work out. But um, you mean our film fest that is uh, playing I Blame Society uh, next month? Yeah. Did you know that, Jillian? <laughs> no, I didn't. Did you do that right with my distributor? Because they, I, I did not get the heads up about that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We, we probably should have opened with that, maybe. My I was going to save it for the end. Okay. <laughs> Seems like a good opportunity. Surprise! We're showing your. <laughs> we're we're gonna we're gonna book that with a lot of lowbrow found footage horror. So we're really looking for you to spice it up for us. I mean, I love any, I love any brow, really. Low brow, high brow. It's just not middle brow. Just not middle brow Oscar bait found footage horror. Yeah, not, Le- not right Leave that, that at home. <laughs> Commit. You know what I mean? I'm with you. What's a middle of the road found footage movie? What would be a middle brow found footage yeah. movie? Cloverfield. Oh, I got it. Searching. No, I Searching. love Cloverfield. Cloverfield. I love Cloverfield. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I, JJ's involved. Did you watch Searching? Well, searching is. Wouldn't you call that a screen life movie rather than a found footage movie? We Ooh, have we girl, have adopted you, screen life now. Yeah, this is the kind of conversation I've been dying to have for four years. I have not. Go ahead. Now <laughs> you know the term. Now you know screen life. Do you have any recommendations? That's such an underutilized platform, and we're kind of getting our feet wet with it now. I have not watched too many, but the first one I ever saw, I thought was actually pretty great, was Unfriended. Unfriended's fantastic. Yeah, I've never thought of it in that context. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for like, is it a PG-13 movie? Like, it's, 
it's pretty it's pretty admirable um like it's i think that sometimes the kills are like just a little less than i wanted but but overall like it is one of those movies like um maybe i went in with low expectations it was you know you're just like i just want to see a horror movie in a theater i feel so grateful to be able to you know go out and see a new horror movie this weekend um so i was really happy last the other movie that i actually felt um surprised by how good it was because it had a not good reputation was well I was actually really pleased with the bye-bye man because it was really batshit and I was really impressed with how strong it committed to being batshit um but I also really liked would you rather I was really impressed with that one too neither of these are found footage ones but they're both underrated we are also uh big supporters of the bye-bye man (laughs) the bye-bye man the bye-bye man okay wow First off, uh, how have we not been friends for years now? You're <laughs> articulating everything we talk about. Um, so when we first, our first year of the film fest, uh, the unnamed footage festival, we got a lot of advice because out here in um, San Francisco, there are a million film fest and a lot of them are very highbrow. And um, we've been lucky enough to make friends with people that put them on. And a lot of their advice was one, don't do exclusive found footage. And I'm like, well, then we're not doing anything. The second thing was, Put a blockbuster in there. You really want to drive people in with a blockbuster yeah. movie. You need a Blair Witch. Yeah, and then keep them around. And we're like, a blockbuster? And uh, yeah, our blockbuster was unfriended. <laughs> Which, I mean, to us, it was kind of like the A-plus version. Like, you get, like, that movie literally feels like it was made within an hour. Like, the screen life element really works. And there's a great message about... uh. I don't know, being on the internet too much. You don't know what your children are doing. And we're like, this oh, could yeah. be it. And Cyberbullying and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. What, what the hell is that French website that they don't um, censor anything that I was into for a minute? Randy? Live leak. L- yeah. Live leak. <laughs> like it, it had a good message about like, I don't know, censorship on the internet. Like, Have it, you gotten off your live leak kick? Oh, Jillian, let me tell you. I don't know if you've played around on live leak before. I don't know what this is. Oh, okay. Um, imagine, oh man. Imagine if YouTube didn't censor anything. So LiveLeak is a video platform that they're like, you know, we're perfect, we're uh, protecting the freedom of speech or whatever, and you can put anything up here. And what that ultimately turns into is you watch videos. It puts the audience in a weird position where you're like, every video you watch, you're like, is somebody about to die? <laughs> because yeah. yeah, there's a lot of those videos up there. And I mean, Guy hiking on road, falls off a cliff. And you're like, yeah, that's a live leak. I was at work one time. (laughs) This guy said, hey, look at this. I looked at his phone and it was a dead homeless guy and someone was cutting out his eyeball. What? Yeah. Really? At work? At work. (laughs) So that's live leak for you, Jillian. Big fun. Big, a lot of fun things. Yeah. And in the beginning of Unfriended, that's where they're watching the suicide. And... Go ahead. I don't know. It's interesting. Like I, I do try to preserve my innocence. <laughs> I do try not to watch certain things that I know that are just going to be upsetting. So I wouldn't, I mean, that's the thing about watching horror movies is because it's not real. It's, it's a place to have a catharsis where artifice is used to make things look real. And we can kind of work through our, our issues and our childhoods that way. But I would never want to watch 
uh, an ISIS execution video or an animal snuff video or, or anything like that. I think that, you know, I felt really, um, what's the word? I felt really conflicted about watching Necromantic um, ah. when I started watching it and I realized that there were uh, unfaked animal cruelty in the film. Um, and it's not like torture. It's things that really do happen. There's a, you know, somebody hunts a rabbit and, and skins it. And I felt so angry and upset. But then the end of the movie happens. And I mean, it's not really a spoiler or anything, but like the movie, you know, Go ahead. You the can main, spoil it. It's the main character, um, uh, while he's, uh, you know, he castrates himself while he's masturbating as he's thinking about the, the thing that traumatized him watching, uh, a rabbit being skinned alive, I suppose, by his father while he was a child. And in that moment where it all comes together, the, orgasm and the mutilation and and the death the image starts to go backwards and the rabbit becomes whole and it comes back to life and it's so beautifully redemptive i couldn't help but cry and i'm like kind of tearing (laughs) up now because it was really it was really powerful and i think only under those circumstances can you do something like that if you have something truly redemptive to say, and I think that very few people do, I don't want to call Jörg Butgerite like, you know, um, an auteur or, or say that, you know, people should go out and make movies like that because I, I think it, it's too esoteric and impossible. And it, that, I don't know, I don't think that can really be replicated. You cried during Necromantic. During the end of it, because it's very powerful. That is the coolest thing I've ever heard. I, I you know, I do a podcast, and uh, my co-host he uh, cries during dog commercials. <laughs> very sweet. <laughs> what do you want out of me? Oh my god, I fucking love that. I can't even. I don't even know where I was gonna go. Repressed trauma. I <laughs> with the dogs. Who knows? What was that dog driving around in a car movie that you never watched but cried during every trailer? The Art of Racing in the there Rain. There you go. That's <laughs> bad for the one driver. Yeah. So like eight weeks ago, we had a, um, a guest on, uh, James Dobbins, and he did a kind of updated cannibal holocaust, except the instead of um, exploiting tribes and kind of using real death or, you know, making a film about the uh, perils of using real horrific art as art um, is flipped where he uses, you know, videos like we're talking about cartel and ISIS videos within a narrative. It's so it's a found footage film and it's two kids who are exploring the dark web and it's a traditional horror film in the way that, you know, there's a killer and anytime somebody would be killed instead of having one of the characters murdered or like a practical effect, it would cut to real violence and, Towards the third act, it, he really put effort into making his uh, the star of the film. You know, he he casted him because he looked like a guy in one of the videos. And I watched it cold. Me, me and Oksana had no warning about it. And it it messed me up that night. Oksana, nothing. But 
I've now watched the film three times, and Jillian, the scariest thing about it is you get fucking used to it. Like I'm not even phased by those videos anymore. And I don't I don't know if that's a good thing. It's not. <laughs> Tell you right now, it is not. As a person who has not seen that, will not see that. Because I was traumatized I by my tenth grade math teacher who showed me an uh an Al Qaeda video. What? <laughs> yeah, that was uh that was the uh AP math class I was in. Where our teacher showed us uh, Al Qaeda videos, real nice, good stuff. Was was your teacher Osama bin Laden? <laughs> was, I actually said his name, and we had to scrub it out because I think he's still an educator. Well, I mean, leave it in. Well, there. that's on him. That is. That <laughs> is. Now, you mentioned uh, the joy you get watching any horror movie in a the theater. What was the last film you were able to watch before all the lockdowns? The last movie I saw in theater was Wild Goose Lake. Oh, oh, I don't yes. know. It. No, you, you, uh, Randy talked about it. Uh, Chinese uh, mafia film, right? Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, I, I, I think my my bar for Chinese mafia movies though is really high. Thanks to Have a Nice Day, though, I yeah. thought yeah. Have a Nice Day is amazing. I don't know that one either. That's uh, the animated one. Yeah. Yes. Also on my list. <laughs> also, another one Randy has talked about. Randy's on it. I don't. I don't know. I mean, the last what the fuck? What was well, the look, you've got Randy for this, and you've got me for Money Plane. You know I, yeah. what I mean? This is, this is what I bring to the table. Yeah. Well, she mentioned Bye Bye Man, and that's what I'm watching. I'm watching Gretel and Hansel. We've covered everything. Underwater. <laughs> we get it all. But uh, Jillian, I wanted to ask you because the the timing of your film, um, I know it had been in. Uh, virtual uh theaters online for a while and now it's available vod for everyone to, to go out and rent it but in terms of you know the timing we're, we're going in almost a year in quarantine now so did the was the film finished before you went into quarantine oh yeah yeah um the film premiered at rotterdam in uh january 2020 so it actually had a screening with multiple live audiences uh, before everything shut down. And so uh, Rotterdam was the second to last big film festival um, that that happened before they cut things off. So it was Rotterdam and then Berlin and then South by canceled. And that was that. Um, so, so I did have the opportunity to see the film with a live audience and see how people responded. And, and that was, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that was a really good feeling. It was, um, it's really great to, to, you know, I think I would have been really devastated. Uh, I think there's, you know, of course, take for granted, everybody wants to see their movie with a live audience. But I think with a, with a comedy, like I cannot imagine not having the opportunity to see how the laughs play in a right. theater. That yeah. would be really devastating. Yeah. You, you want to know if, if all the beats, if they get all the beats right. Yeah, absolutely. So we had kind of um so we we've we've had the full gamut of format experiences, uh exhibition format experiences. So there's uh live theaters, virtual festivals, and then also drive-in theaters in Memphis. That was really cool too. Oh, just the one drive-in in Memphis. <laughs> that's a, that's a movie within itself right there. I like that. 
that was really cool. I mean, I flew to Memphis to see the movie because oh, I because I was like, I'm never going to see my movies play in a drive in again unless there are other pandemics. I hope not. But um, so they actually played my movie on a double bill with Cronenberg's Crash. So there's no way I could not see that. Oh, that's great. Whoa, that's a hell of a double that's bill. A double. Yeah. Look at Memphis. I okay. know. What the fuck? Now, people are watching your movie. And you're you're filming these murders. Did you ever have the uh, inclination to like get out of the car and knock on people's windows while they're watching it <laughs> with a map? No, <laughs> no, that's a good idea. I I don't know, but like I also I'm like I don't. I would not want to. Maybe some people would be amused by that, but some other people might be like. I paid 10 fucking bucks. Like, you know, shut the fuck up, you know? Now, I think it would be really narcissistic to be like, you know, to do that and be like, that's me. I'm on the screen. Look, look, and I'm right next to your car. Isn't that cool? You know? (laughs) But that's kind of the nature of the game. Like, if I, I mean, I would imagine you with a selfie stick and your phone on it. With the light. No, because I'm not that person. That That is a character. I'm not that person. But you could be. <laughs> I could I could have been that person if I did not make this movie. If I, know, I had yeah. you know, it's definitely like a <clears throat> there but for the grace of my producers go I. If I hadn't had the chance to make uh you know, this movie, if I hadn't had the chance to make this feature, there would be bodies. No question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I believe you. You had solid planning. And good I'm good planning. at it. <laughs> yeah, how did you did you watch a lot of like crime dramas and ha- how I did it and all these cold case files to No, know? no, that's what Chase really brings to the project as well as a lot of other things, but Chase is the true crime expert. So oh. he uh he helped craft uh those those sections um and I helped craft the like my life is a is a big mistake and I'm a loser sections. That's what he <laughs> brought to the table. <laughs> Uh, Russ, you got anything else for Jillian before we let her go? I mean, I know you've got your little dossier over there. I know. I have a bunch of notes. I didn't look at them. I know. it's It's been such a pleasure hanging out with you. I, You know, I, I joked about knocking on somebody's car window. But honestly, a lot of people who make found footage movies really try to market it that way. Like, it's almost like a relic of, like, the Blair Witch or something. Like, trying to really go for verisimilitude by blending reality with reality and i've never seen it work we i mean like i can think of so many people who had twitter accounts that are like oh i'm posting for my character or even like a youtube channel it's like oh it's my character and it's like nobody really cares i don't know it's a weird thing we're navigating and i don't know if that's just a failure of a community coming together online for found footage which we're trying to do but it might also just be like we don't need it i don't know I think that people don't want the showmanship to end. You know, I, I think that there's uh, people find pleasure and, you know, they, there's a whole art to marketing, obviously. And people like, you know, William Castle started, you know, is the famous example of somebody who really blended that that kind of showmanship and, and exhibition and as with tying it into the content of his films. You know, he's the basis for the, the character in Joe Dante's matinee. Yeah. And... So I can see that 
I think it also has to do with control. Uh, it's frightening when your movie goes out into the world and you you're kind you're done. It's the audiences. You want to feel like there's something extra that you can do to let people know that that it's special and that you you have a hand in in making sure that it reaches people. It's it's nerve-wracking to finally give up control of the film after you finish it, but there are people out there who are more experienced than you and hopefully more talented at that with you who have bought your movie and are publicizing it and you have to trust them. Yeah. And you really picked the like roughest road to go down with the film, like in the new era of like peak entertainment where, you know, we have five different streaming channels, all uploading movies and shows and found footage in world camera films. They really demand more out of an audience. Like, when a when the way that something's being articulated can be altered by like a camera pan or like a zoom or you know the craft like you really can't be in the next room cooking dinner like you can with like a marvel movie and that's really what we were trying to do with our our film fest where you know you think about you've never cooked dinner in your life i know i know <laughs> well i can't when i get focused on something i can't walk away from it that's why I also spend eight hours at a time watching a dude vlog on YouTube. But, you know, it the format, which a lot of people like screen life, like unfriended, we watch that in a theater. And it's interesting to think like, you know, the old motto used to be films are made for the theater. Where now we're kind of in an era where there's a lot of films that aren't made to ever play in a theater. But yet the theater kind of demands attention that your phone doesn't or, you know, a laptop. Or even your TV. Like, the TV's, like, kind of the least impressive way to watch a movie now. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I think that making films now, I mean, of course, I think you should assume that your audience is paying 100% attention <laughs> while, they, while they watch the film and not multitasking. You know, you, it would be difficult to, to plan a film where you're like, I think people might, like, choose the next five minutes to, you know, to, to go, uh, make tea. So, uh, the next five minutes should be kind of like a bone, you know, an Easter egg and not really important. You can't do that. But what I, I think that you can do in order to plan for the likelihood of your film being seen at home or on a tablet is to take that into account when you're shooting by, uh, composition and lighting and understanding these things, uh, you're going to be in trouble if you light your movie for uh, a theater no, and those light conditions and nothing else. I remember when, you know, some films like Rachel Morrison's things that she has shot, they don't, she's a brilliant cinematographer, but I don't know if people are figuring out well how to translate them to good at home viewing the films that she shot like black Panther and Mudbound and things like that, um, where they're very, very low light focused. And I've even seen them in movie theaters where the theaters just aren't lit properly and don't have the right bulbs practically because they're old, old theaters, um, for, for what she's doing. I think that you need to, understand where your audience is coming from technologically and not be oblivious to that. Uh, I, of course, you know, films like Tenet, you know, the director wants them to be seen in the theaters, but there are 
you have to respect your audience's economics, their lifestyles, and, and where they're coming from. And it's best to make a film that can function on both levels. And so our film actually does look really nice on a big screen because we have an amazing cinematographer, but it also is very legible uh, on a small screen and feels good and intimate in that viewing scenario as well. One could say that you just packaged that saying that your film is better than Tenet, <laughs> and I do agree with you. So that's what I took away from that, Joe. I haven't seen Tenet. I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't say that. You're, you're <laughs> good. You're good. You know, it's he's getting real cute now. You've got our support. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jayla, this was a blast. Uh, before we cut you loose, um, is there anything that you want to plug, website, social media, anything you got coming up? Oh, I would just love people to, I mean, now that they've listened to us talk about the film for an hour, perhaps they would like to watch the movie. It's on VOD and uh, you can rent it anywhere. You can rent movies on Amazon or YouTube or iTunes, anywhere. And it's actually, I have to thank my distributor. It's really well-priced. So it's not like you're going to break the bank and be mad at yourself if you hate this movie. It's at a price where you can afford to um, take a risk. I I feel like I paid $19.99 to watch a couple movies this year, and I always went in with this feeling of like, God, I paid $19.99. This yeah. better be good. And then the movie would just have to like prove itself the whole time that it was worth $19.99. It was always on the verge of slipping. So uh, it's not like that. <laughs> we we definitely did that with Willie's Wonderland. <laughs> I was the only one. I had fun with Willie. Yeah, I I kept thinking, fuck, we paid twenty dollars for this, <laughs> and we had three people in the room, so the math yeah. actually worked out in our favor. But but uh, definitely go and rent. Um, I blame society now, and also go see it again on March twenty seventh when we show it uh, as a part of the Unnamed Footage Festival online. What are we calling F24? Yep. Up so 24 hour. All right. Well, Jillian, thanks so much. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for being such passionate supporters of the film. You know, I saw the tweets that you would tweet about it when you saw it. It made me feel so good. And the letterbox reviews, it made me feel really, really, really good to know that you guys liked it and were so passionate about it. Well, you, you nailed it. You hit it out of the park, and we're looking forward to anything you, you bring in the future. And that is, if you want to do another mini documentary with Peter Bogdanovich <laughs> talking about John Ford, I'll watch that too. <laughs> anything you got. It's very easy to find. All you have to do is buy the Quiet Man Blu-ray that's put out from all of films and uh, the Signature Edition, that along with many other excellent uh, bonus features. Yeah, well, it's probably it's, got it's, it's a treat. <laughs> Yeah, I've never did. seen it. I do love an ascot, though. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jillian.